Hello, and welcome to Praise Dungeon. Don't what? know why I sounded like that. <laughs> good um, voice. Good thank voice. You so good much. voice Solid for radio. Start. Good face for radio. <laughs> Shut your whore mouth. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh. No, I didn't mean that. Yeah, let's keep going. You've got a I normal guess. mouth. Oh, thanks. Um, hello. Hi. And welcome to Praise Dionysus. Praise him. Praise him. Oh. Today we're going to be talking about Death of a Salesman by Hearth Theatre. Grand Theft Theatre by Pony Cam and The Crucible by the Australian Shakespeare Company. Oh. 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 Well, that'll do nicely. That'll do nicely, it will. Yeah, excited to be here. Excited to see you, all of you. Mm-hmm. You listening at home. Excited to see you here, Jake. Thank you. Um, and happy to, yeah, be here and do this. Great, James. Great. Great. Let's get started. Hit it! <laughs> I just forget you're here sometimes. Oh, hello. Hello. Hi, Jake. How are you? I'm super duper fine. How are you going? I'm great. Yeah, I'm actually really good. Yeah? Yeah. I've, I've, been, I've been feeling happier. Mm-hmm. I've been feeling healthier. Okay. I've been sleeping better. Have you made a change? Beyond no. just having your suspicions invalidated <laughs> no, by just... your medical science? Honestly, you know what? I think for those of you who don't know, very briefly, I did a sleep study because I couldn't sleep at all. Mm-hmm. Turns out I've been sleeping very solidly the entire time. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and now I think my brain has caught up. So to that's embracing nice. the notion that maybe you're a healthy sleeper. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm still not, I don't feel super rested, but I don't feel as exhausted as I always do. Also, I'm on antidepressants now. So uh-huh. I feel like that's probably got something to do with me being happier. So I'm feeling good, uh-huh. really, is my long short of it. Huge. I mean, it's an unrelatable journey that you're on, but that's good. Thank Being you so happy, much. I, I'm just speaking for myself. I'm sure there are many people listening that are very happy, and, and I hope that there are. Really? But, but you look very happy from the <laughs> from, <laughs> from the outside. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get through it. You look awful. Thank you. Um, <laughs> what have you been up to this week, Jake? Tell me what you've been doing. This week? Um, no, just all the, like, the regular things. Just like work and school and not much time for anything else. Great. The beginnings of like theatre stuff with like the Fringe Festival coming up and my participation in that being a thing. True. At what point are you saying things about this, or are we, are we keeping it under wraps? It's still. I'm still. You're yeah, it under wraps. Just being like, yes. <laughs> under wraps. I'll be contributing artistically to this goddamn upcoming festival, and I'm very excited about it. Mm. And until I'm just, yeah, I'm certainly. I, I know that thing of like, <laughs> you start getting excited about a thing, and the more excited you get, the more likely it is that it's going to get taken away. The <laughs> ship cannot be sunk. Yes. Sure. It's a Titanic reference. Well, Titanic is on everyone's mind. It's on everyone's mind. Apparently, we'll get to it. My heart will go on. Is like back in like the top 100 or something. No. Oh, that's in poor taste, surely. It's, I would think so, too. I can't imagine what these people... Because, obviously, I don't know what time you are listening to this podcast episode. Oh, yeah, just to put a big old time stamp on where we are in the world. Yeah, so the people... So five millionaires. Well, in, yeah. Well, five... four millionaires and a child. Yes. <laughs> should be An anxious child, An afraid anxious of... poor oh, 12-year-old. Yeah, you. piled into just like a big oh. metal jelly bean and dumped themselves into the sea. Not just that. Had to be bolted in. Like, the thing is taken apart, put together, and then screwed together. Like From that. the outside. Yeah, yeah. It's yes. Like, yeah. And then just dropped into the deepest part of the ocean. To, look to go and look at the Titanic. Yep. The only good thing is the implosion would have apparently lasted like 30 microseconds. Yes. So that would have been quick. It was kind of best case scenario in terms of like once you're... I think the best case scenario is not imploding. I'd say if it's a scenario at all... What do you mean not imploding? If they don't implode, then they all eat each other. Well, that's the best for theatrical tension. Theatrical tension. Maybe not tension. Is there enough detail for people to understand what story it is that we're talking about? Five people in a metal jelly bean? 100%. Dumped in the... Yeah. 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 And it's like a submersible and not a submarine. So it is literally just you drop down. 
and then there oh. are devices employed that then bring you back up again. Oh, I actually didn't know it was just a submersible. That changes everything. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, I can't imagine, like, uh, one of the, like, several dozen reasons I wouldn't get into this metal jelly bean mm. is, like, there's, like, one little window, and for the most part, you're just looking at it on a screen, like, once you get down yeah. to the Titanic. Yeah, it is very much, what is the point? Just do it with a robot. Do We've it got with the, robots. Or just, like, watch Titanic. Like, the first, like... Like half an hour of Titanic is them just seeing footage of the Titanic. Really, I have. Bill seen Paxton Titanic. is doing all the work for you. Oh, I've never seen Titanic. And if you're gonna get down there in the first place and end up watching it on a screen anyway, you are just watching the start of Titanic. What if they? What if they actually took him down and then just played the start of Titanic on a little screen and no one was the wiser? Well, you'd think if you're gonna do that, wouldn't you just do the thing where you don't even put them in the sea? You like, just like bolt them in and then play footage for like them, a, like a movie world. Um, what are those yes, simulated rides? Just like rock them around, <laughs> and now we simulate. Like the 30 millisecond implosion. God. Oh my god. Oh my god. They're dead. Oh my god. Those and then five you, people are you dead. You make up all of like the media coverage of it and you just kill them. Well, there's all those people that have suspicions that this is a big millionaire escaping tax fraud stuff fake death thing. That's really exciting. Yeah, like people, I, Jake, they're dead. They are just dead. But not, no, but this, this, in this version, they're not. In this oh, version, sorry, in our version. they're yeah, avoiding yeah, yeah. taxes. Yeah, so they're just like, yeah, they get into a simulation and then. Well, I imagine they don't do any of that. They just. <laughs> Maybe they, need be, they maybe they need to be tricked that they are dead. Like they need themselves believe. <laughs> How do you trick someone into thinking they're dead? Kill it's them. Like, you just treat them like they're a ghost. <laughs> like, did anybody hear that? I don't see Kevin. Oh my god, I've escaped all my tax fraud. You know? Done. I don't see Kevin. <laughs> Wait, who's Kevin? Do they know they're escaping tax fraud? No, but, but they, it's, it's a benevolent so act. Whose plan is it? It's, I don't fucking know. The company? James Cameron? James Cameron's plan. <laughs> or maybe it's like the lawyers. They're like, look, you're being sued for a lot of tax money. What well, we, we could do. <laughs> uh, we could build you a real good case. Oh. Maybe because of like, I don't know, I only know law from Ali McBeal and The Good Wife. Maybe they yep. aren't legally allowed to be like, okay, rich Pakistani billionaire, mm. you're in a lot of legal trouble. That lawyer is then not uh, like allowed to tell you what the plan is, but he's like, but I know how to get you out of this. Then that lawyer <laughs> goes to this submarine company yeah. Yeah. and they're like, Submersible. Submersible company. And they're like, we're doing that thing again that we do. Again. <laughs> how many people have imploded in submarines? I actually don't have that statistic on right me. Right now, tell me. <laughs> um... Well, yeah, that's our coverage of <laughs> the submersible Up to the event. minute, yes, no. But I am glad that if we're going with what we're being told by the news media is accurate, yes. I'm glad that we have some level of closure about oh, the story. Oh, yeah, totally. Us as the true victims of the tale, the ones that <laughs> stayed dry the, the ones, entire time. The ones that have to live with it. I mean, God. Oh, yeah. Five okay. people died. Oh. But then again, they were millionaires. Not all, One was a little boy. Yeah, but he would have inherited a lot of money. That doesn't make him inherently evil. Not at all. No, that's true. I do feel really bad for the child. Also, the poor men, I, don't, I couldn't care less. Jesus. No, no, no. I, I've made my my opinions about the rich quite clear. But what if they were giving a lot of money to charity and stuff? What if they were intending to? What if they were even just lovely people? Obviously, it's bad that people have died. But also, if you're going to get into a little dinky tin can and plummet yourself to the bottom of the ocean, you might gonst to die. You know? And people don't have the right to risk their own lives? Well, they do. Are you pro-life? No, no, no. no. <laughs> I am pro... Be careful. Let's, let's watch this <laughs> This could be the end this of all James. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, yes, they have the right to risk their life, but that involves risking your life. But are you suggesting... That, are you mad at them because you're assuming that they wanted everyone to worry about I'm them? not mad at anyone. I just don't care. You see... Okay. Yeah. It's just you sounded pretty angry at the moments ago. Oh, I'm angry at rich people in general all the time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, the ones under the sea and the many not under the sea. Yes, and now there's less under the sea than there were a few days ago. That's true. Mm, yeah. <laughs> 
So uh, what have and, you done? And now I don't know why people are listening to my heart will go on. Is it just get... jokes? Or are they like hosting videos? It's got to be jokes. It's got to be like bits. Like it's got to be someone doing like praise the orcas, eat the rich sort of party. Praise the orcas? You know the orcas? I don't know them personally. You mean oh, whales? The whales that are like... How like, are whales involved? So like orcas... Listeners, this is another timestamp of where we are in the world. Orcas have started like attacking boats on like... I can't remember if it's like one specific area. I think it is near Spain. Like all these orcas have started like attacking and sinking yachts and boats. God, sea monsters are getting smarter. Yeah. What about that guy that was dared to jump off that cruise ship and then he got eaten by a shark when he jumped in one off the cruise <laughs> One open bite. It was a pretty quick mouth. bite. But they're saying that the, the reason that there were so many hungry sharks around is because on the cruise ship, when they're done with the food, they throw it into the water. Oh, you and so the sharks have learned that this cruise ship will dump food in the like in the water at nighttime. And this kid jumped in the water at nighttime at around the same time and location oh. where the food gets dumped. Oh so my God. They are all circling this cruise ship because they're ready for food to happen. And a tasty morsel and jumped into the ocean. a tasty morsel jumped into the ocean. Good for the sharks. These Loch Ness yum, yum, relatives, yum. they are on it. How can we support How can we support our aquatic-based rebellious friends? I like how quickly you have bent the knee to this oh, uprising. I'm, giving, I'm up. I'm, I'm with them. All hail the Megalodon. I've always hated the ocean. I don't want to go in there. I and respect I, them. I respect their claim. That's they, It's theirs. It's theirs. They can have it. Yeah. I don't want it. If they said, like, Trotting on up onto, if they slimily started emerging onto our little shores. But I guess that's what we did in the first place, right? I don't super understand evolution. Yeah, I feel a like fish we flopped were... onto the land. <laughs> yes. And then turned into a human. Yeah, flopped around for a while. Flopped around and now we have electricity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's pretty much what happened. <laughs> that's the diagrams I've seen. So, Jake, what have you done with your week? <laughs> um, I'd say somehow the, the, the one major thing that leaps out. Um, like is a fish onto the, onto like the a, land. Like a fish onto the land that then I guess like a Russian nesting doll just keeps pooping out more fish until one of them is... You know, a person. A person. Yeah. <laughs> Evolution question mark. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing happened that I found like <laughs> embarrassing. So of course I must tell you. Oh good. And you, sweet sweet listener. Um, so I was there's a, <laughs> this man that I know and only sees me in like particular contexts. Um, and obviously, based on what he says in this little story I'm telling you, only sees one version of me, I suppose. It's in, like, an educational context. Okay, yep. And he he said to me, like, he was like, do you like anything? Because I guess he's only (laughs) ever seen me, like, being quite gloomy. I don't know why. What sort of question is that? I didn't think... And it was said sort of, like, jokingly. Like, we Mm. get along and we have a fun time when we talk to each other. Mm. But he was just like, do you like anything? And he was being, like, half sarcastic about it. And I was like... Not many things. It's a pretty short list, which I don't know how true that is, and I don't want to get into it, but then it was like, tell me one thing you like. What's your favourite thing? And then my... I'd like to say I said theatre, which I did end up settling upon, which Uh I admit is a lame thing to say. But it's true. But the first thing I said to him was candlelight. Jake... (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) I hate You Edwardian (laughs) bitch. Oh, I like candlelight. (laughs) Mm. I don't... Want to fuck me in the candlelight? That's like, like the most sultry it. thing you could have said. I suppose. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's kind of sexy, actually. I'm glad you've come around yeah, to no, it. Yeah, no, I very quickly came around to okay. that. It's a very sexy and sultry thing to say. Oh, good. Candlelight is cool. Okay. It's a ridiculous thing to say to a person. It's a ridiculous thing to say that is your that it's your favourite thing. But also, <laughs> knowing you, it kind of is your favourite thing. <laughs> Which I didn't realise until I said it. Yeah. And it was immediately apologetic and embarrassed. And then I said, theatre. There's a candle burning right behind us right now. We're in the candlelight. Yeah, there's a candle right over there because I love candlelight. You love candlelight. <laughs> Not just candles. No, and theatre. And that's... <laughs> that's it. Theatre by candlelight? That's your night. May. Truly, yes. Yeah. Okay, anyway. well, that's, I guess, a very eventful week for Jake. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. How was your last little while? Uh, been, it's been good. I, um, 
was I, I was in Castlemaine the other weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went up with my housemate. Her parents live up there and they were away, so we went up to live in the farmhouse. And I want to move to Castlemaine. Because? It is so beautiful up there. It's cold. It's gorgeous. The countryside's beautiful. Everyone's kind. There's like three blocks and nothing else. Three blocks? Yeah, it's a very small Lego? town. Blo- oh. No, like, like city blocks. Like, it's a small town. Oh, yes. Like, there's more than three, but you know. Um, and then we just sort of like laid around. We like they had fireplaces going inside. It was like an old farmhouse sort of situation. It was, and we just made pasta and sandwiches and stayed there for the weekend. It was gorgeous. God, right. So that was really lovely. Mm. Um, so that's been good. Uh, and then I got back. Um, I'm a baby. <laughs> I'm a baby now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that too. Uh, and then I got back and, yeah, I've been at work. Work has been actually quite nice. I'm enjoying my job, mm. which is a fun development because I was not enjoying my job for a while and now I am. Right. Yeah. And did the job change or did your brain change? My brain changed. I'm on antidepressants, mm-hmm. as I've mentioned once already. I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, also I think I'm just like... After a year or so of being at the job, I'm now better at the job and know exactly what to do. So it's like easier to just relax. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that was good. And last night I went to a party. Fuck. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh-huh. To, to break party. it up, to tell people to go home. Yeah, like, we went shut the fuck up, I'm tired. <laughs> I was in a little like like nightcap with a candle. Yeah, um, I live down the street and this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> My name's Sleepy Tim. Um, and then, yeah, the party was good. It was like an Oscars-themed birthday party. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you had to go as a famous Oscar? Well, you had to go as... <laughs> yeah. The Grouch. I Did you go with the Grouch? No, I went as Oscar, Oscar Wilde. Wilde, damn it. <laughs> uh, Name you... another Oscar. Oscar... <laughs> Bait? Oscar Bait. Who's Oscar? That's not a person, James. Oh, well, you're thinking about it. <laughs> it's a dull film genre. Um, so the, you could dress as... Uh, it's, it was, the party was hosted by this very, like, camp gorgeous person who hosts uh, this sort of party once a year. And they always have, like, a fabulous theme. Um, and they do awards. So this one was the Oscars. And, yeah, you had to dress as, like... Like a famous costume from an Oscars uh, event, like a representative of a movie or like a really good costume from a movie. Like it could be anything really Oscars related. Mm. Okay. So Flynn, my boyfriend of two years. Oh, oh I oh, know. Oh, right. I dropped the bomb on that one straight away. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for that sudden update. I'll take a second. Quickly. The whiplash we hurts, We're getting married I'll... tomorrow. Oh, God. Um, we dressed up as mm. uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Michelle Yeoh in uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, the hot dog fingers world. Right. Yep. You know the one where they're flopping about with their hot dog fingers and they're in a lesbian relationship? Yes, yes, that was one of the sight gags that didn't interest me very much, but the people around me in the cinema did chuckle a fair bit. because you hate fun and only love candlelight. I love candlelight! He loves it, he loves it. Um, and so that was good. I spent like an entire day making those fingers. Okay, how did that feel? Good. Mm. It felt good to do a project and for it to actually work. Craft is good for the mind. It was good and for the mind. Craft. That's heroin. Yeah, and we won an award for it. We won Best Supporting Actress, because they were all Oscars themed. We won Best Supporting Actress. Fantastic. So that was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it was just like a really good party. Also, here's something about me. I have had a fear of other gay people for a long time. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've always... Be- it's, it's entirely in my brain, nothing to do with them. Um, I've always been scared of them because I think they're mean and evil and angry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like, cool, trendy gay people I've always been scared of because I've always built them up in my brain to be big, monstrous, evil villains. Uh-huh. Last night, this party was full of, like, the people that I fear. Mm-hmm. Like, gay, sexy, gorgeous people. Mm-hmm. And Jake... Yes. Every single one of them was a delight. Oh my god. They were like so lovely mm. and all it took was just letting my walls down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> putting on my sausage you know, fingers. Putting on my sausage <laughs> fingers. 
uh, winning an award in front of all of them. Uh, and <laughs> so I'm with my boyfriend. You know, there's a few, few, few ingredients. But no, like just like I threw myself into a situation that I never would have gone into otherwise without like I don't know what 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 made me go this time. But it was just so freeing and nice to be like, oh, you are just genuinely nice human beings. And I really like and respect a lot of you. So that was just a nice event. Like, they're all just nice people. So if you were at that party, just know that you are attractive in a very scary way, which I think is a compliment. <laughs> no, I said it to several people that night as a compliment because it's true. I was like, you are so attractive that I was scared to talk to you. You said that to a number of people? Yeah, and they all took it as a really good compliment. <laughs> Mama, if someone told me that I was so attractive that they were scared to talk to me, I would say thank you. Thank you. You boost. That's great. I would love to be so attractive that people are scared to talk that's- to me crazy to yeah, me. Yeah, but that's how my brain works. No, that's it's great. wrong. No, I don't no, I don't think it's wrong. That's just really funny to me. Yeah, so <laughs> just the concept of like, I don't know, one element of it is like so willingly handing your social power away like that. Oh yeah. Oh god yeah. Oh yeah. No, I have no self-respect. Um, but I guess I, is there any like, part of that would you have done that if you weren't in a relationship? At well, the this is the thing. I think that made it a lot easier. I think okay. I could have done it if I weren't in a relationship, but having Having someone with me who I've been with for two years in a couple's costume where we both look a bit daggy and silly. Yeah. Um, it, it was that wonderful thing of like, I don't need to worry about him really like impressing anyone because my brain would have gone straight to, I need to like be hot and sexy in front of all these people mm-hmm. if, if I wasn't with someone. But I didn't really care. Mm-hmm. So that made it much easier. That right. did make it much easier. Because you've, you've won the race. I've, well, I've won. I'm, I've got the partner, you know? <laughs> but I think also just like, even like telling some of them that you're so attractive it is scary. Their reactions really made me quite it was like quite humanizing because their reaction was always like, "Oh my god, what do you mean? Thank you so much." It was just like a very genuine like reaction that shattered the illusion in my mind that these are all just scary horrible people. They're just nice lovely people. So that okay. was nice. Sure. Yeah, so that's I, that was, last night was genuinely a big step for me. Again, None of these people are evil or nasty. It's all in my brain. It's some of all... them are evil and nasty. Oh, sure, yeah. Some of them are. <laughs> no one <laughs> of them. But they're party. not getting invited to Oscar's parties, no, are they? No, and definitely not this person's party. This person's a beautiful star of a human being. Great. And so what would you give your little fiasco what or would I like give an adventure fiasco? out of five stars? What do you think? I would give it 20. Because that is how many uh, little fingers I had to individually cut, uh, whittle with little holes in them, and then spray paint pink. Gosh. Yeah. That is such a project. It was a real project and it worked and I'm really happy about it. Mm. How many stars would you give your week, Jake? Um, I'm going to give mine nine because oh. I think that's because <laughs> well, after I told this gentleman, his name is Matt, that <laughs> Candlelight and then theatre were my two favourite things, mm. he very sweetly said that his favourite thing was his nieces and nephews. Oh, shut up. Oh, and I think he has nine of them. But I don't know if I'm just rounding up because I think that's a charming number of them to have. How is rounding up to nine a thing? No one said you have to round up to a round number. Wait, is that what that's rounding what means? That's what rounding <laughs> is. It's usually up to the nearest five or ten. Well, of all the numbers, nine is one of the rounder ones. What the fuck do you mean? If you're thinking of shapes and you're thinking of numbers. Zero! Yeah, one of the rounder Eight. ones. I rounded up to nine. <laughs> That's not a thing. Eight is pretty round. Nine is also round. If you don't do like the, the, the angry stick version of nine, if you do like the curvy nine. Still, no. Math, okay, you know what? We'll talk about this after. If we're... Ra- we're yeah, we'll get back <laughs> to this. Let's take a second to rank all the numbers. <laughs> I think one's the least... Actually, one would be the... Actually, seven is the seven least. Seven is the least, yeah. Seven's the least round. <laughs> I think five's like somewhere in the middle because it's yes. got that like sharp bit on top of the round at the bottom. Exactly. Six is probably just the same as nine. Yes, right? it's as round, I'd say. 
Four? Well, it depends. Either way, that's pretty jagged. Right next to seven, I think. Yep, yep, yep. Three is sort of round, but it's Quite not a round. full. It's not a full. So there's no full circles there. But if you, yeah, if you ate a three, you do okay in terms of it not hurting your throat. Is this how you're judging the roundness? If no, you that's they would what they wanted to do with it. It sounds three. like you really have just decided, I'm going to eat these numbers. If you do like a stupid person two, that's quite curvy. What's a stupid person two? Where you go like around the two and then oh, you and go then, like, like a loop. Then it do a loop at the bottom instead of like a hard corner. Sure, but if I think for, for consistency, we need to go with like the normal, you know. We have to assume the same person is right in all yes. these, like, yeah, yeah, these yeah. numbers. Otherwise that loopy person will make them all loopy. Four and seven and one are the pointiest. Yeah, but Nine, one is eight. almost not that pointy because it is just a line, which is like the opposite of po- like round. Like, like re- but well, well, yeah, but I feel like pointy has like sharp edges. Like a seven has a corner. seven and four are the least round. Yes. one is it's second sort of to like them. Third. <laughs> Stupid two comes mm-hmm. next. Yes, <laughs> and then <laughs> I think we agree that eight is the roundest. Nine zero, and six zero are, is the roundest. Zero, zero is the roundest. Eight, zero is the roundest. Eight nine is, and six. Up, is second. Nine and six are a tie for third. Yes. Have we missed a number? I think that's all of the numbers. One, two, three, five four, is in the middle. five, six, seven, eight. Nine, this was a very good use five. of our time. Um, do you want to hear about some of the good costumes at the party last night quickly? Oh, I mean, that's less important and interesting than ranking <laughs> numbers. Yes. One of the best ones was an in-memoriam. Mm-hmm. So this guy had a little iPad strapped to his front and it was an in-memoriam for next year. Okay. And it just had like a list of actors that he predicted were going to die next year. And it was. Oh, that's fun. And it was like very strategically made. So it would go like, Kate Blanchett. And the reaction would be, oh, God, no. Bill Cosby. Oh. Okay. And then it would be like, the kid from Modern Family. Oh, God. Which kid? No. The. Which kid? No, the. um. Uh, I think. I Manny or Luke? Is Manny the one who's the child of Gloria and the other guy? Yes. Yes, no, Manny. That's, he's the child of Gloria and. So, it's Sophia like, Vergara so, and yes, Benjamin Bratt. Their, their child. Right. Um, yeah, which is sad. And then the next one would be like. I think it's how the Benjamin Bratt doesn't get more work. Is, ben, that, is that his name, Benjamin Bratt? Benjamin Bratt is the dad of Manny in Modern Family. Oh, I do like him. Yeah, what else has he been in? Benjamin Bratt, he was in Halle Berry's Catwoman. Who was he in that? He was the boyfriend, like the guy that, the guy that she was sort of dating. And he was also a, like a police officer. Oh, trying well, to like work out who Catwoman long, was. A long time ago, wasn't it? Because he's you, quite old, isn't he? Are you thinking of Ed O'Neill? Isn't Gloria... She's married to Ed O'Neill and they have a son in the later seasons. Oh, I, I haven't seen enough of Modern Family to know what his biological <laughs> father is. I've seen too much. Yeah, Jesus. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, let's move on from that. Uh, I agree. So that was one of the costumes. That's good. Uh, there were a lot. Of, there were two Brokeback Mountains. Okay. Ben and I were thinking of doing Brokeback Mountains. Do you mean that they were dressed as the mountains? Oh my god, that would have been great. No, they were dressed as um the the cowboys. Heath and Jake. Oh, Heath and Jake, yeah. I can't quit you. Um, do you, they have lung cancer. Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't. It's know. already so sad. Don't also give them cancer. Fishing. Ugh. Um, I haven't fishing? seen the movie. I haven't seen the movie. I just know there's a fishing trip. It's insane. You haven't seen Brokeback Mountain. I know. I know. It's part of the. That's maybe my third favorite thing, after candlelight and theater. And theater. It's Brokeback, Brokeback Mountain. Mountain. I think. What about our friendship? With whom? Me. You. Being James. Your James. My oh, oh. <laughs> anyway, what are other costumes? Uh, another one was the um, uh, uh, someone dressed as a rival. So someone dressed as like they had like the orange um, sort of coverall uh, like hazmat suit. As Amy Adams's. As a- absolutely Amy Adams, not Jeremy Renner. Okay. Um, and like had a whiteboard. They just wrote funny things on throughout the evening. That's that was funny. very good. Like this send... is like a funny group. It was it was quite a good group. And this is the thing. I was like, yeah, these are all really good costumes. Mm. Um, anywho, that's my. <laughs> those, those are some of the costumes. Fun. All right. Well, do you want to talk about some theater? I mean, 
you're going to talk at me about some theatre and I'm more Oh, yeah, because you've it. seen nothing. I've seen nothing. Yeah, Great. I've, I've been very busy going to parties. Absolutely. So, yeah, everyone strap in for a lot of me talking about things and James being... Doing a lot of this. Oh. Mm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, James. Hi, Jake. Hello. Um, Hi. I saw... Oh. No, no, that was <laughs> you done greeting yeah, me? I'm done. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Jake. Hello, James. Uh, thought you were done. We... I am done. <laughs> I went to Chapel off Chapel. Oh, I know it. You do? I do. It's just off Chapel, isn't it? It is. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yolp. Yolp. <laughs> I went to... <laughs> okay. I think that's how I'm going to say yep from now yeah, on. Yeah, I like it. Yolp. Yeah, it's good. It looks good in you. Anyway, I went to Chapel off Chapel. It's just off Chapel Street. I know See, the one. Death of a Salesman. Did you try and stop it? Did I... Not a death, the death of, of a salesman. No, he deserved it. Death of a oh. Salesman, the play by Arthur Miller. I'm look. I'm familiar with the name of it. I've never seen Death of a Salesman. Fantastic. No, that's the thing. No, I was going to ask. So you've never seen it? No, I've never seen it. I'm curious to hear about it. Do you have any experience with the script? Uh, none whatsoever. I literally could not tell you a single thing about this story. Okay, I great. Think the Simpsons did a spoof of it at some point, maybe. They definitely did a spoof of. I hate saying the word spoof. Spoof. Oh, spoofed all over me. That's the thing. It's a bit too semeny. It it's is. Like, but it's also, it doesn't sound like someone's coming. It sounds like someone's, like, it, that's what spoof sounds like. Like dust comes in. Like, yeah, like just a, a, like a puff of pressurised air. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. I also don't like it as well because it's, it's one of those words that feels like the person saying it thinks that they're cool for getting to say it. Yeah? I don't know. I think that's the thing that only I have a resentment towards. There are some words that I just can't say, and that's one of the ones that fall into that bracket Spoof for Spoof is one of them. Anything fecal-related you're pretty bad with. That, but I think it's for different reasons. I never think that people are bringing up feces because they want to seem like the coolest guy in a party. Depends <laughs> what party you're at, Jake. That's true. If it's one of those scat gang gatherings. Scabba <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know when people okay. are doing jazz music and crapping themselves? <laughs> yes, I'm very familiar. The brown note. Oh. Go on. Um, so Half Theatre was doing this production of Death of a Salesman. Great. Are you saying yeah. half or half? You introduced this episode. I know, but the listeners might not be able to understand what half. they're saying. It's like if you put H on the end of heart. Like it's like the when organ. you have at the front of a house. In like a cold place, is you that, have a hearth. That's it's what like a hearth the, is? Yeah, hearth is like a, a fire that constantly burns to keep the place warm, I believe. Right. Yeah, there you go. Okay, which is presumably derived from the idea of what a heart is, being like a central organ that keeps things moving in your body. I don't know, because heart might be a different word in the language hearth comes from. Because hearth's not a very old-timey term. That may have evolved into heart? Could or have. I guess heart probably existed first. Well, this is the thing. Do you want to look into it, Jake? Or no, do you I talk don't. About I'm certain to say that anatomically hearts existed before the word hearth did. Yes, but I think anatomically... That's as far <laughs> as I'm willing to go in this etymological journey. <laughs> go a bit <laughs> Because higher, we have an American classic to talk about. Terrific. Because it is indeed an American classic. Well, yes. Yes, which since seeing this show and this production of it, I've been like, every person that I sort of like run into, I'm like, what do you care about and know about, like in terms of death of a salesman. Mm. And so many people are like, I feel so embarrassed. I've never seen it on stage before. Yeah, okay, good. I'm glad I'm not in, like, the minority. No, if anything, it feels like, at least based on the people that I've spoken to about this, and, like, since seeing this production, I've wanted to talk about it a lot. A lot of people have been like, no, I'm kind of embarrassed about the fact that I've never seen this show before and kind of couldn't even tell you the plot. Yeah, no, I'm, that's me. I'm one of those people. Yeah, well, welcome. Um, well, welcome, everyone. We're going to talk about death of a salesman, what it is, and by the end, we'll all have a grasp of the plot, maybe, unless I get distracted. I'm really excited. I'm genuinely actually quite excited to hear about oh, this. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, sure. So, first off, before I get to the plot at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> Good. Detouring immediately. <laughs> so I arrive, I go in and I sit down. I'm really into the seat that I'm in. It's kind of like central and a bit of the way up. <laughs> I love how every story you tell starts the same. Arriving, going in, sitting down. Your favourite things to do after candlelight, theatre and... What was the third one? Brokeback Mountain. Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> I... 
I'm a homosexual. Sit down. <laughs> so I went and sat down. And then what happened was like a couple of school groups came in. Oh. Like little ones. Like it wasn't full classes. It was like theatre studies groups. Oh, so, so like year 12s? Like, I'd say it had to, yeah, yeah, had yeah. to be. It was probably like groups between like five to fourteen. Oh, totally. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I bring this up not just because I always find that to be so fun, but also one of the teachers of the groups was from the class. Do you remember when I was studying to be a high school teacher? <gasps> one of the teachers was in, like, she was no. studying alongside me. We learned how to teach drama together. Oh my and god! And now she's doing that. And I'm alone at Chapel Off Chapel watching Arthur Miller's <laughs> Death of a Sale. As it should be. Did you make eye contact and, like, know each other? I was doing the thing where it's like, you make sure that you are, like, open and visible to the person and trying to convey the body language where it's like, if you want to talk to me, I'm wanting to look like I'm open to it, but I'm also sure. not going to be presumptuous enough to go up and be like, you definitely want to talk to me. Especially in front of all the children they're teaching. I've, partly, even that factor is like, I don't want to have to be a social creature in front of a bunch of children. Oh, God. Yeah, they're vicious. One. They're disgusting. <laughs> they are. Little rats. Yeah. So anyway, that's just a thing of like, oh, that's a fun little it, it life felt, moment. A life moment. Mm. Partly because, yeah, a little bit, obviously, it just felt a bit like, oh, a little message from the universe. If there's I, the sliding doors. There's the sliding doors. There's like a reality that maybe I could be living. I could be seeing... If then. I, if then, indeed. Mm. I could be like seating... Oh, in the same space. What? When I saw if then, it was the same space. Oh, <laughs> as see, this that production. was a bit of a jump for me to make. <laughs> like, that's... <laughs> I know that I just said it then, but it had already left my mind. Huh? <laughs> what? What the fuck are you talking about? Jake, you sound insane. This man's crazy. <laughs> yes. Okay. In yeah. It was similar to the... <laughs> the Adina Menzel Classic hit. musical of the Gwyneth Beltra movie. Sliding doors. Yes. In that way, it was similar. But yes, no, I sat there. <laughs> and then the show. So much sitting. <laughs> it was a long show. It was like three and a half, like three hours and 20 minutes long. Interval? Um, that's including interval. Wow. Three hours, 20. Wow. Yeah, which I did not know going in. I don't know if I would have wanted to know that going in. No, that, would, yeah. put, that would put me off big time. It would. Oh, God, yes. Due that's... to impatience. I just think three and a half hours. Like, what story do you have to tell in three and a half hours that can't be whittled down a bit? Well, well I may have an answer for you. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. Or maybe you could use a whittle. Maybe that's some people's stance. Whittle was Bonnie Hunt's surname <laughs> in Jumanji. <laughs> Now that we've established <laughs> that, <laughs> we can start a new conversation about death of a salesman. So, <laughs> all right. Okay. So, I all I knew of death of a salesman going into the production was, yep, people care about this show. It's an American classic. And then beyond that, it was like there's this monologue that for a long time I don't know if, if they still do was often featured in, like, audition booklets for, like, getting into the VCA oh. and, like, other drama schools. Mm-hmm. This monologue towards the end that one of the sons delivers. And based purely on that monologue, I assumed that what happens... Okay, there's a lot, lot of hand gestures here. <laughs> I think I'm gearing my hands up to have to explain a family treaty. Yeah, oh, I see. So, okay, okay, so there's Willie Loman is this, like, old man who's been a salesman his entire life. Oh, sure. Is he, is he like, the main character? Well, he's a salesman. That's all I'll tell you so far. Oh. Willie Loman is Not looking this, good for Willie. He's, he's this old dad, okay? Hot. And he has a wife. Oh, 
Willie Loman's the dad. Okay. He has two sons. Okay. okay. So he's got Happy, whose real name is Harold. Irrelevant. Wait, but the actor to... or... No. Oh, no, the character. Ha- Happy is the character's name and the character's real name is Harold. Oh, sure, so Happy's In the In universe. Okay, yes, thank Happy, you. Sorry, we'll Happy get to the cast later on. Go on. Yes. <laughs> but I do really like the idea of having a son and naming him Happy. I was going to say, I would not like that. As the child named Happy? No, yeah, exactly. I would not like to be called Happy. Because what if you're having a bad day and they're like, you're not being very yourself. <laughs> yeah, look. <laughs> you know, there's, there's opportunities there for some teasing. Well, or maybe it'd be a chance for me to really parent and help him build up a backbone. You know? You. Me. Help someone build a backbone. You might skip a generation. Aww, <laughs> Jake. Aww. <laughs> Don't cry, Jake. Don't cry. Don't cry. I'm um, <laughs> um, yeah, so Willie has two sons. One is named Happy, mm-hmm. and then the other one is named Biff. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't laugh. <laughs> and Biff is the one that does this monologue. Oh, is Biff the one that also has a cameo in Back to the Future? I doubt it. I feel like, isn't Biff the bully in Back yeah, to the Future? Yeah, he is. Biff the bully in Back We have different frames of reference. We do, and I don't think that that character is based on the Arthur Miller character. I know, I was just asking as a joke. Okay. Biff, <laughs> Biff is also what happens when Batman punches someone. I hope Michael J. Fox is okay at the moment. Yeah, where is he? Is he off scrubbing his hands somewhere? Why is he scrubbing his hands? He was in an episode of Scrubs where his character had OCD, which I think Michael J. Fox actually does have. He has OCD and Parkinson's disease? Oh, no, Parkinson's. He has Parkinson's, not OCD. But in Scrubs, he had um, OCD at the end of, like, one of the episodes. He's just, like, scrubbing his hands repeatedly, and he can't stop scrubbing his hands, and he's just, like, left there in the room scrubbing his hands at night time. And that's what Michael J. Fox did in Scrubs. Willie Loman has two sons. One of them is Biff, one of them is Happy, and Biff has a monologue. Biff has a monologue towards the end, the one that is often featured in collections of monologues intended for men to audition for drama schools. Great. And in this monologue, it's kind of, it's a bit like outbursty and kind of vaguely suicide and it's from a play called, I don't know if you know this, Death of a Salesman. Yeah. So I went into this show believing that what was going to happen in front of me was these two sons exist. We learn pretty early on that Happy is really into business and Biff is less so. Like, Biff is quite quickly established as being a son that never really met his potential. Right. Like, he had all these capacities. He's very charming. He's very handsome. He's very, like, good at talking to people. He wins people over very well. Like, he's just got all, like, the charisma and, like, played football and was, like, the quintessential perfect American son. Okay. Then Happy is maybe takes less naturally to all of the things that would make someone good in the world of business, mm. but is quite happily thriving in that way. Okay. Okay. okay? Sure. So, that's that. I went in believing that what happens towards the end of the plot is after Biff delivers this monologue about being unhappy, Mm -hmm. he then goes off and kills himself, and he is the salesman whose death the play is about. And this was based on just what you believe. Based on assumptions! (laughs) Okay, good. Yep, so... Um, incorrect. That is not what happens. Great, so Biff is fine. So I... So, but what it meant was, like, up until the other salesman oh, dies... Oh, true. I thought that this was going to be a tale of, like, I thought it was going to be, like, like a man version of a doll's house. I thought it sure. was going to be, like... Because, obviously, the Ibsen play, A Doll's House, it's Nora dealing with the fact of, like, she has this husband, she's, like, sort of, like, trapped in her house, has nothing to do beyond, sort of, domesticity and being unhappy in her marriage, and then has to deal with the whole Krogstad thing of, like, having to repay this debt secretly while not making her husband ashamed of her, and then, mm. at the end, very famously decides to leave, and that was a big feminist moment for theatre. Oh, great. I thought the male counterpart going in with this incorrect reading of what the play was and watching it unfold in front of me, mm. I was like, I had this epiphany of like, oh my God, this is like a male answer to 
a doll's house. It's like, in this version, it's a man who's forced into the business world, doesn't feel like he belongs there, but has no other way of escaping. He's trapped under the thumb of his disapproving and disappointed father, and then instead of being able to escape like Nora did, he has to kill himself. Oh my god. You know? And because men can't have feelings, that's part of what drives him to suicide instead yeah, of just right. leaving like Nora. It's like, oh, god, Jake, that does sound good. you've made a fun parallel. It's like, but irrelevant, because that's not what happens yes. at all. <laughs> so, so, all of that thought for naught. <laughs> for naught! For naught! Thought for naught! <laughs> Um, yes, and so... So, wait, wait, so so Happy kills himself? So the Spoilers. Plot, the plot, generally speaking, is one of uh, working at this family. So there's a husband, there's a wife, there's the two sons. And then through kind of like a combination of flashbacks and whatnot, it's kind of like about Willie, the dad, sort of like losing his mind a little bit. Oh. Like he's quite like, why are you disappointed? No, no, it's just not what I expected the story to be. Yeah, no, it's kind of like he's losing touch with reality a little bit. And it's kind of like exemplified in the way of like, there'll be moments where kind of like characters from the past, like his adventurer brother or like the the younger versions of his children running past him and kind of having these ideas and these thoughts and almost voicing some of the nostalgia or paranoia or the things that are kind of informing his rather like anxious and somewhat like desperate lifestyle and mindset in the present moment that we're in with him. Mm. And part of the sort of like, I'd say like character mystery of the play is like, why are these things coming to him the, the, the way that they're coming to him? Like, what are the stakes for him? Like, what's going yeah. on? Um, and there's so much talk of him being disappointed, especially by Biff, his son. Yeah, I suppose what largely happens is we begin to understand what happened between Willie and Biff in the past. And it's to do with Biff witnessing his father be quite traitorous in terms of uh, the father's relationship with the mother. And oh. that's feeling like a real splinter moment for like, the two of them. Cheating on her? Yeah, exactly that. There we go. Yeah, so, <laughs> so he witnesses his father cheating, and that causes this immediate rift, of course, between the two of them. And then uh, a I rift. don't know. And I, I kind of like will. Not, I, I, I guess for the sake of this conversation, kind of refuse to believe that I can like spoil this play. It very much exists and has for some time. Oh God, yes. And no, so, it's like, like Shakespeare. You can do it. One of the the, 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 the largest sort of like payoff moments of the plot is the realization that Biff, <laughs> all that all that Willie wanted from his son Biff wasn't really to do with business success but it was much more to do with the idea of like the largest moment of relief which was so beautifully portrayed in this production was the moment where willie realizes that his son does like him oh and like that was the biggest moment of the play really oh that's such that's such a moment such a moment yes and one that is so also i don't know a little universal i suppose which always feels like oversimplistic to say about anything lady but also but ladybird i know you love me but do you like me Oh, sure. Sure, yeah, but like opposite. Opposite, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, in terms of the way that the show began, it was like another, as is seeming to be like a trend recently with at least the shows that we're seeing, mm. there was this real moment of like, them, it seemed like they were almost like conjuring the show into existence. Like they were pulling off like drop sheets and whatnot from all the furniture that was going to be used oh, as part yeah. of like the set and stuff and felt very much like this very large cast of, like, of actors kind of like beginning the show in a way that seemed as if they were breathing it to life by being there and being ready to tell this story together. Oh, lovely. Um, and yeah, there was also this interesting thing that kind of like melds well with that idea and that staging moment too from the director talking about the show. And I'm going to read quickly this paragraph that he said was that about the show, there is no fixed blocking, um, which is like obviously like the way that the actors move around the stage, but the actors are free to respond to the varied stimulus they detect in the performance they are in that night. Oh. Everything, how you say what you say, 
Where you say what you say and what you are doing while you say it is up for grabs within this structure. So no two performances are ever the same and the cast don't try to force them to be. They courageously embrace being open to the truth of this moment now in front of these people right here. Wow, that's really nifty. Isn't that super lovely? I really love that. And then he ends it, which I think is one of the sweetest ways you can end a sentence. He says, we hope you like it. Oh, guys. (laughs) Isn't that nice? See, that was from the director Christopher Tomkinson. Wow, that's such a this a, a, a fucking bold thing to do. Yeah, super exciting. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine as well for an actor as well to be given that type of like license to be that like alive. Yeah, yeah. Really like fantastic. you know all the lines, just have fun with it. Mm. Uh, something about going into it knowing that the show is so significant, it means so much to people. Like it did mean, and I guess this is partly due to like the pacing of it. I guess I did spend like a bunch of the first half of it, like pre-interval. Um, I, I spent like a bunch of it with my eyes shut, just because I wanted to like. What? I don't know. I suppose I do know why. I, I was enjoying listening to these words, like these, like somewhat like old feeling, like, kind of classic words. Even though it's, while well, it is an old play, it's not like an old play. Yeah, because when were written like 50, the mid twentieth century? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I enjoyed just kind of like shutting my eyes and imagining like all the people that had listened to the words before and imagining how many different like, versions of the script have been printed and the idea mm. of all these words existing. And then that too was like bolstered too, even just like that element of my experience of the production, like once Interval rolled around, um, I got to like <laughs> eavesdrop on this like older man sitting in the row in front of me talking to his, what seemed like like children and maybe their spouses, oh. talking about how much he loved the script and how he had always loved it and had grown up around the words oh. and was himself really loving the sentences he was hearing. Like there was a couple of times where he and someone also behind me was like saying things before the actors would say them. Oh, wow. In like okay. an under their breath kind of like, a, or even like sometimes along with the actors. Yeah, wow. They've got real hardcore fans of this work. Yeah. Wow, and that's I just, nifty. Yeah, that was, yeah, kind of beautiful to me. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, so for that reason, yeah, I spent a bunch of like the first half of it with my eyes shut, just trying to like appreciate the way that these words have had such an impact on people. Mm. And also, yeah, kind of like imaginarily trying to like transport myself to different ways that these same words have been played with over the years. I wow. guess was something. I mean, three and a half hours. You had time. I did have time to meditate and ponder. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I just want to say, like, Paul English as Willie Loman was, like, very, like, this type of character. And maybe it's akin to you saying the thing about being fine with the idea of billionaires dying under the sea. Yes. <laughs> the idea of, like, a man of that age, uh, like, seeming to value the things that he values is very unrelatable to me. Mm. Um, and his portrayal of this character, like, <laughs> didn't seem to, like, make much of an effort to inject it with a lot of, like, lovable warmth. Like, there was a real kind of, like, staunch coldness to him, mm. which was interesting just in the way of, like, because he's at the forefront of this play... And you're forced to kind of like wrestle with him and his mind the entire time. It's like, I know it really makes an argument for like, if you spend enough time with a person, you will find a way into like, you know, sort of like whether or not you end up on their side. Certainly if you have just even like a little bit of compassion, you're going to find a way to to see where they're coming from. Yeah, totally. And and again, to come back to, to like the length of this show, it's like by the end of it, like even though even still by the end, he's a, he's a bit of like the kind of person that you wouldn't want to have a very long dinner with. Um, but you can really see how he got that way and and the choices <laughs> that Paul made in terms of, yeah, showcasing this character for us, at least on this evening when I was watching it. Mm. Um, it was like, oh, yeah, I can... Th- 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 <laughs> yeah, the argument that his performance made for this man existing the way that he exists is a, yeah, a, a rich, captivating one. Oh, um, wow. yeah. That's so lovely. So I think it's so nice to see how it's skillful when a, an actor can make a cold-hearted character, like, understandable and 
yeah. someone you can actually put some faith in. Yeah, and I think even like the difficulty that I imagine in that type of betrayal too comes partially from a place of like wanting to people please. And I think it would be, and maybe this is me just not appreciating basic foundational elements of what acting is poten- like potentially. Uh-huh. But the thought of like being in front of like you know, like sold out rooms every night of like a couple of hundred people watching you do a performance like to to not feel any pressure to put on a performance that will be immediately crowd pleasing yeah. is like a type of yeah. challenge that I guess I've heard like I don't know not be especially analysed by people I guess like people often talk about the thrill of getting to be a villain I suppose but getting to be something you know between the two that is by its definition not an exciting role like really for sure yeah and to live by ethics that a lot of people especially theatre going people might not necessarily find immediately captivating or Mm. able to like quickly side with I suppose is like a a particular challenge that his performance made me reflect upon yeah 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 because it doesn't sound like you can really milk that role too much Mm. Mm. sure Well, like a cow much like a cow (laughs) yes Um, Margot Knight played his wife um, and yeah, yeah, in a way too that I, it was like fun to see as well. Like I was even just grateful for her presence because it was one of such like strong maternal energy, and mm. it was really, really lovely moments, especially when her sons would rely upon her um, for for a source of peace for themselves. Does the wife have a name? Uh, Linda. Linda. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, there was like an upsetting moment where they were having like a big sort of like family kerfuffle and, he, and Willie kept telling her to shut up, and I was pretty oh. upset about it. <laughs> anyway, but that time That's passed. That's <laughs> Yeah. Is it Linda um, with an I or a Y? Linda with an I? Okay. Yeah. Why are you trying to make her more into your mother? Yeah, my mother is Linda with a Y, so I just I always ask. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and then of course Charlie Cousins' performance as Biff Lohman, and yeah, yeah, it was like, it was nice to see someone as, yeah, as, as Charlie did so like competently and passionately and devastatingly like make an argument for wanting to have a life that exists outside of like a, like a businessman's like office. Yeah. Um, and doesn't want to, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was just feel, nice to I see. feel that, brother. It was nice to see someone, yeah, so like earnestly and passionately and desperately make that argument because it's one mm. that I can certainly connect to, of course. And it would have also been coloured by the fact that you thought he was going to kill himself the entire that time. That too! I thought, yeah. oh no, I have to slowly watch Charlie Cousins come undone and commit suicide. But Charlie's fine. Charlie's fine. He's fully at the cemetery at the end. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where Margot gets to deliver the, 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 the somewhat, like the only other chunk of text that I recognised from the piece was her final monologue as well. Oh. Um that she sort of delivers to the the grave of her now dead husband about mm. how they are now free from like having to pay off their mortgage at around the, exactly the same time that <laughs> that he decided to kill himself for the benefit of the family financially. Oh my god, is that why he does it? He well, he tr- he sort of attempts suicide a number of times, Oof. not necessarily during the extent of like the bulk of the timeline of the play that we see, mm. but there is this like overhanging belief that suicide's really on his mind, largely as a way out of the financial strife that the family is in. Oh my god, he's so also like grim. being let go from his job and stuff. There's all this stuff going on, really pointing him towards doom, mm. and there's just this sense for a number of reasons that like maybe he's going to kill himself for other people's benefit. And also to potentially escape what they can perceive as kind of like this odd mindset that he's recently like oh God, started to... What a to... play to do right now. Why do you think right I now? I just think like so many people are feeling, you know, just the classic feeling the pinch. Like with oh, sure. prices going up and yeah. inflation and no salaries being raised. It's just like, yeah, I get it. Hmm. Like maybe suicide is the option. <laughs> that is maybe not... we should condone it. Who? We, you and I, right I now. am not going to sit here and condone suicide. I'm absolutely not condoning suicide, <laughs> but I, I just think it's, it seems like a very timely play to put on. Sounds like poignant. For sure. Oh my god, absolutely, yes. Mm. Yeah. And I just want to also highlight as well, I thought Juan Fernando Monge playing Bernard, I just had a real soft spot for. Bernard. He was just like, 
this goofy young guy that was like friends with the sons and then grows up to be a successful business guy. And there's this moment where he flips from being like this annoying child to then being someone from whom Willie has to ask a favor. Mm. And I just thought that Juan Fernando's performance was one that was just like, I just, <laughs> I need to someday sit down and write really like just for me, this collection of like soft, delightful, mm. misunderstood men that like appear in theater that I just I so immediately warm to. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. He was just like bookish and kind. And I, <laughs> Oh, you do love a bookish kind man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. bad. Yeah, I, there's that. And also as well, Ross Dwyer playing Happy Loman. It's just, <laughs> he managed to somehow play like a sweet womanizer and a really devoted brother. And a sweet womanizer. That's the thing. Like he was like one of those men that it feels almost like he'd be like, I don't know, friends with the husband from Bewitched. Like just one of these men oh, that like yeah. looks really good in a suit and is very comfortable in a suit. Yep. And just like, you know, walks up to women in bars and tells them that he likes their dresses and then buys them drinks. And they just, I don't know, but somehow does the whole thing without seeming like disgusting or up to anything. God, what a skill. <laughs> On stage at least. Yep. I don't know. I don't know. And very like business focused without being immediately repulsive. Uh, are they yeah. businessmen or are they salesmen? They're salesmen, but is that not a business? I mean, the players called Death of a Salesman call them salesmen. They are salesmen, but they are in the business of sales. I don't know. I see all okay. these men in right. suits on trains in the morning and I think, look at all you businessmen. Yeah, I definitely don't think. Look at you salesmen. No, that's not what I think. No, you're right. I, right? Yeah. I feel like maybe but also, like, in this context, I think you can say salesmen. I think you're probably definitely correct, yeah. but I don't know. With Biff rejecting the lifestyle as he is, is it inappropriate to do so? I don't know. He no longer identifies as a salesman. <laughs> in my mind, <laughs> it's like champagne and sparkling wine. You oh, know? shut the fuck <laughs> up. Oh. They're all businessmen. Unless you're they're... from the salesman region of France. <laughs> exactly. <Okay. laughs> well, yeah. um, do you think it could have been... Not, this is not a, uh, about the actual production you saw, but with the text, could it have been whittled? Whittled. Whittled oh, down. anything could be whittled. Like, even, like, that final moment of the the, 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 the widow <laughs> talk... The, 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 I'm not a very eloquent person. Yeah, we the know. widow... <laughs> the widow crying to the grave. It's like, that was even extracted for, like, not to keep talking about my undergrad degree, but that was extracted in, like, an adaptation of August Osage County we did. Where they were slower, inserting, bit slower. They time. were inserting a bunch of chunks of American classics into a retelling of the, I believe, the second act of August Osage County, and that was oh. one of the chunks that got added to talk about the, the financial hardships of being American in that particular time period. Right. Um, so in terms of, like, yeah, you can absolutely, like, pick it for parts and decide to focus on different things, I suppose, but um, I'd say certainly with, like, the lip-syncing old man in front of me, he was very grateful that it was what felt like a very, like, truthful retelling of a tale that means a lot to a lot of people. Mm, yeah. And I, and I guess for, like, some time to come, it's going to be quite timely to to tell a story of a, like, you know... A struggling American family. It was, like, a struggling, struggling family, family that is, like, existing in a world where the pursuit of, like, business success is a valid one in the way that the world is... Like, mm. our world is capitalistically structured. Yeah. Like, you are going to get the rewards of the work that you do if you put in the right amount and right type of work, I guess. Yeah, but at what and cost? To, at what cost, indeed. And, yeah, and anything to do with, like... A family not being able to communicate or values not aligning and that coming up against the hierarchical structure of a family or a patriarchal structure mm. of a family, you know? Like, there's so much in that as well to talk about. The perils of, like, contemporary masculinity, which I'll always find interesting. So, yeah, you can see why it's such, like, a timeless piece. It sounds it. Yeah. I mean, there is a spoiler in the title, though. Yes, but also not enough of one because I did spend the whole thing. Like, arguably, my experience had a but twist the in it. The wrong salesman would die. <laughs> I thought the wrong salesman would die. I bet on the wrong salesman. <laughs> But it was 
it added something to my life. I, I had what the I would twist. I would it, what, there was a twist, and I would consider it to be a unique journey for myself in mm. terms of like not a lot of people get to watch Death of a Salesman thinking that Biff is going to kill himself. Yeah, I guess so, especially if people know about theater. Not many people watch Death of a Salesman without knowing what's going to happen. For so sure, you had like a real good experience, and so it meant that I got to see everything that Biff did under the lens of like, oh, and this is a man that's about to commit suicide, <laughs> and then you got the joy of oh, Biff. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Good for Biff. Fantastic. Good for us. Good for us. <laughs> Death of a salesman. D- indeed. Very much. May he rest in peace. I don't think he is. You don't think he's resting in peace? He's not real. James. <laughs> Questions? You shall not suspend your disbelief for the sake of this grief. I don't like theatre. I don't care about theatre. I never have. Fair. No, <laughs> fair stance. Fair stance. Let's move on. Okay. Hit it! James. Oh no, someone's committing a crime. It's Grand Theft Theater. Oh, sorry. First off, thank you for introducing the show. I <laughs> That's good of you to share that load with me. Thank you. Secondly, I thought that sound effect was an ambulance and I don't know why. Oh, it isn't. That sounds... You're right. It sounds more like an ambulance. Like a European ambulance? No, they always sound... I know Family Guy portrayed them more as sounding like three gay men having a threesome. That was how they did it. That's good. And a good highbrow reference. Thank you so much. (laughs) I've got plenty more where that came from. Um, So Pony Cam and David Williams collaborated to create a show called Grand Theft Theatre. Groovy. It has won awards in the past, and this Mm. is like a remount season for them. Exciting. A very familiar full disclosure, of course... Is that I, of course, adore Ponycam as a company in like a professional sense, but also in a personal sense mm. in that I know them. Yes. Um, that is something. Uh, yeah. So just flagging that immediately. And yeah, I went to see this show. This was my first experience of the show. I didn't get to see it the first time. Um, but yeah, so went, I went with beautiful British Johnny. We went to like a whole space in Brunswick. You say with a question mark? I meant it to go down. Okay. That's where we were. Brunswick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Went there. Went inside. We were met immediately by Dominic's wonderful mother, who was on the door, which was so nice. And then, yeah, she instructed us to sort of, like, just sit wherever we wanted to, because inside this, like, big, beautiful hall that had, like, a little stage at the end of it, but that's not where the show happened. Um, This big, empty hall that was, like, full of just, like, a big, like, huge cluster of just standalone, like, plastic chairs. Mm. Um, And then we were instructed by Dominic's wonderful mother to just sit wherever we wanted. Were all the chairs facing the one way? They were just in, like, a ball. Like, if you just, like got a like a dump truck filled it up with like chairs from like a like a public school mm. and then backed up that dump truck and dumped the chairs out into a hall yeah. and then all you did was just sit them up so they were on their legs that's how it looked oh. it was just like a cluster of chairs right and yeah, we'll just like, like sit wherever you want, but also like take these like name tag things and write on the name tag what your favorite show ever was. Oh my god! Okay, great. Immediately yeah. work to do. Immediately work Enough. to do. It was yeah a fun thing to get to think mm. about. And then the understanding too seems to be that then beyond that, as we were later instructed to do, was like use that name tag if you wanted to as like a conversational starting point to meet a stranger throughout the production. Okay. Yeah, because there were like several intervals throughout the show, mm. and in that there was opportunities to like mingle if you felt like you wanted to. Oh, you love mingling. Look, I, <laughs> I like it conceptually. I'm bad at it in practice and mm-hmm. therefore I'm afraid of doing it. Mm-hmm. Coupled with, you know, self-loathing and anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's not a sport that I'm built for organically. It's neither a sport. It's neither a sport. That, that's the full Neither sentence. is it a sport, I should have said. <laughs> sure, 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 yeah. I, then, so, yeah, went in and then, so... <laughs> 
Johnny's choice of play was he put Oracle. Remember that like sexy? Oh, he, of course I remember Oracle. Yes. Sexy cabaret circus. Sexy horoscope circus. Horoscope circus. And John yes. Day was completely moved by it. Saw it twice. Wanted to see it a third time. I can't blame yeah. him. I saw recently, I just like resurfaced this like message he sent me about it. He was like, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I love it so much it makes me sad. Oh, and I just, Johnny. <laughs> isn't that nice? Oh, you big doofus. And it was a sexy horoscope circus. Sexy horoscope circus. They're really... still out there doing sexy circus stuff. Well, they are circus people. It's the they thing sure that they love are. to do most. Carney? Um, Can you say carney? Carney? I think to be a carney, you just have to be attached to a carnival. So they're carnies. I don't, they're not attached to a carnival. Isn't it like circus though? Like traveling circus? Isn't that sort of carny vibe? Carnivals aren't synonymous carnies with circuses. does sound like a slur, so I'm going to stop I, saying I it. I think a circus can be in a carnival. Like part of a carnival can oh, be like... Oh, so it could all, be like, all carnivals... No, so, so <laughs> carnivals oh, are like businessmen <laughs> in that some are salesmen <laughs> and salesmen are like circus folk. and not all of them kill themselves yeah, yes that's true okay, yes yeah, salesmen don't have a 100% suicide rate it's not a 0% rate though <laughs> uh, well <laughs> let's keep skating yeah yes so then um, yeah so we did that and then we sat down and we, we waited for the show to begin then the show started and very quickly it became apparent that what the show was going to be was kind of like this collection of performers like Pony Cam and David Williams Kind of like, as was exemplified by the introduction even of the piece, led by David, but then layered upon by the rest of the cast, mm. was him almost introducing the show and then the show kind of immediately stealing from itself in that Will from Ponycam came out and kind of like replicated the exact same speech over the top of David while he was still introducing the show. Oh, cool. And then this kind of like patchwork begins formulating where it was about this clever sort of encapsulation of the energy that was going to be moving forward in terms of the way, the way that stories were going to be getting told. Mm. And it meant there were like, I'd say maybe like four, four to five intervals throughout the entire thing, but the night wasn't insanely long. Um, And it was really just like, if you wanted to like boil down the premise and the function of it, it was these theatre makers just telling us about theatre experiences that they've had. Wow. Which is, of course, great. Yeah, that (laughs) sounds really great. It's all I want to do is just tell people about theatre that happens. Mm. Um, So that, even in concept, was exciting. And then even just, like, (laughs) something that hit me, too, was, like, the earnestness with which it was done. Like, there was, like, (laughs) I come back, I guess, in this current moment, like, even, like, when I tell people what was great about studying at NIDA was the idea that you didn't have to spend any time convincing people that what you were passionate about was worthwhile Mm. or have any level of, like, defensiveness or self-consciousness about walking up to a person and being like, yeah, I want to be a playwright, knowing that they would not come back at you being like, yeah, but what's your real job? (laughs) God, yeah, right. There was something so beautiful about this work where it was like, this piece of theatre changed me. And I said to like a couple of the performers, like I spent a bunch of time talking to Ava Campbell from the company um, about part, like some of the things that I really loved about the work. And one of them being that I thought it would be a really wonderful piece of theatre to show to people towards the end of high school. Um, oh, sure. In the way of like this show is such a celebration of and an argument for the value of theatre and the way that it can like, it, like positively impact a person's experience of their own life and the way that it, as they tell like <laughs> so many of these wonderful stories, um, of, of theatre that really touched them and made them think about things differently for the first time or things that will always stick with them when they think of a particular human experience, one of the touchstones for them in order to get through what it is that they're going through or analyse what it is that is happening in front of them. These theatrical experiences are part of what informs their wisdom regarding that issue. Yeah. And uh, that is so celebratory, I think, even in terms of like this type of thing, if delivered to the right audience, could really coerce them into making theatre more a part of their life. Um, make them rethink the theatrical experiences that they've had before um, and even like, give them the sort of advice where it's like maybe they don't come out of the show wanting to see theatre all the time but maybe they come out of it being like 
at some point in the future where they do encounter something potentially like devastating or confusing or flummoxing, potentially they will think that like attending a play could be one of the things they do in order to cope with what it is that they're going through. Yeah, well. Partly because like even to venture down that thought avenue for a second, it's like so often I go into shows with problems in my mind, the show doesn't directly address that issue, but somehow <laughs> adding that component of my like mental stew to the production that is then in front of me, somehow that does inform the way that I then go about trying to like I don't know, unravel that knot in my head. It gives you an immediate framework to work with. It's, sure, yeah, it's something. Yeah. It's just, yeah, yeah, it just... Wow. Yeah, I don't know. God, that sounds amazing. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, super uh, good. Did, you, do you, did it make you think of any particular theatrical moments in your life that have stuck <laughs> with you and made you change as a person and a theatrical creator? Um, well, I guess, like, one obvious answer is, like, uh, in one of the mingling exercises that were, f- like... It's mingling <laughs> exercises? Well, no, I say mingling exercises, by which I'm just using that to describe what the intervals were, but oh, one okay. of them, Ava explicitly directed us to, like, if you haven't met anyone yet, use your, like, sticker things with your favourite show on them to talk to someone and make a pal. And, mm. of course, I had no intention of doing that because why would I burden someone with my presence? Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, but no, but like, like a sweet gentleman did approach me and was like, oh, so what's that? And I, of course, had written the, the human voice on my sticker. Yes. <laughs> the Bryony Dunn one that yes. made me cry. Um, and yeah, that, that forced me to have to explain to this man, like, I, like quite succinctly, because I did not want to take up much of his time and Jake. just say the way that this show changed. Take the up way. space, Jake. Nope, don't okay. deserve it. And yeah, just told him about the way that it reshaped my understanding and like belief systems surrounding what love is supposed to be and function like. And that was the one with the set was sort of like burnt walls around. It was right? like the circular burnt wall with Jay yeah. Montgomery Griffiths yeah, yeah. in the middle talking on the phone. Yeah, you yeah. loved that one. I, yeah, it ruined me. Yeah. So, yeah, got to tell him that very quickly. What did um, he write down on his name tag? He wrote down on his. No, we didn't even get to his because then he wanted to talk more about uh, like Jean Cocteau and oh, talking wow, about okay. the way that that play is also an opera as well. So that's what we Oh, so he was like about. a real theatrical person as well. At least in terms of like, I believe he was French, I think. Oh, wow. He had an accent and it was kind of like one of those like vague mishmashy accents. What a happy coincidence. So ha- that's, yeah. that's the thing about mingling. Oh, you shut- never know what you're going to find. <laughs> Maybe if you did it more, you'd have more friends. I think statistically you're absolutely correct. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, the show was, like, repeatedly quite moving and exciting and, uh, yeah, upsetting, even just in the way of, like, there was a portion where, I keep talking about Ava, but there was a portion towards the start where Ava was describing, she is a star, Mm. she's a queen, she's a goddess, and she, (laughs) um, she was, yeah, she was up there, they were using, like, in one of the few moments where they used the little stage at the end of the hall, she was describing a moment from Thyestes, this play that had really moved her. And even just in like her description of what was occurring in the piece and in attempting to like replicate this chunk of Thyestes that had affected her so much, even that somehow did manage to, it did kind of like <laughs> seem to, and I think in a very palpable way in the audience, it did transport us all into that theatre with her. And it did have at least like a, like a glimmer of the effect on us that it had on her in the way that it was such <laughs> like dynamic, exciting, devastating, like, Theat- like theatre like it was it was like a series of incredible theatrical moments that occurred and they did as a company manage to relay so much of that to oh. us and yeah that was a real credit to them in terms of like that that effort yeah everything I hear out of Ponycam everyone is always very impressed and astounded I still haven't seen anything by Ponycam I was thinking I was like reflecting on their work the other day on the train and I was trying to like work out a way to kind of like even just for my own sake to kind of like simplify an element of their company and the things that they do and what I find like even outside of adoring them so much as people like thinking about what it is that kind of like unites their work that I've at least experienced up until this point and I kept coming back to this image almost of like the idea of trying to like make a like a like a big blanket or something 
And something about the way that the pony cam, like, I don't know, creates their work, or at least how it seems, or the way that their work seems to function, is that, like, they they want to make a big blanket, and they don't have, like, one fabric to use. Like, they, they do use, like, a bunch of different disparate, fa- like, fabrics that they happen to like for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And then, in the construction of it, like, it's not just, like, the blanket itself ends up not just being, like, a collection of really wonderful fabrics, but somehow they manage to... to use a thread and the thread itself becomes a like a real highlight of this blanket as well like somehow Mm. like the method via which they explore ideas and put ideas alongside each other they seem to simultaneously get excited by and maybe it's something to do with like a romantic perspective on what theater is and how it can function and what it can do but somehow the thread itself becomes something that they celebrate and becomes a real centerpiece for this oh theatrical God. blanket they're creating. Wow. Is a, is a bad analogy I no, came up Jake, with on the train. Beautiful. Well, sure, but I, I, it was a... That was, was such a, a beautiful description of what their theatre is. If you insist, but yes, it very it occurred to me very accidentally on the train the other day, and now I'm boring you with it. But that's that's a thing that I thought. But um, there was like, there was a portion... Of course, there was a part that really upset me. Was, was this part where they were like recreating a moment from, I believe, a Pina Bausch piece. Do you care much about Pina I Bausch? I know nothing about Pina She's Bausch. She's a choreographer. Okay. But yeah, they were recreating a piece by Pina Bausch, I'm quite sure is the part that this was. And oh, it just, <laughs> there was this part where Dominic, who was in Pony Cam, who I adore so much, he like falls to the ground, like nestles his head on this like little pink towel thing. Mm. But because of the way that they were describing the work and what was happening in the work that they were making, it was like theatrically Dominic's character had died. And then it forced my brain into imagining my friend Dominic being oh dead. Oh my God, James. And James, it made me so sad. Yeah, did it? Did it make you sad to think about your dead friend? <laughs> oh my God, that's I was, horrible. I was sitting there with tears in my eyes. And because at this point in the show, because the, the audience is forced to move around during each of the intervals, there's a new seating layout for the next chunk of the like performance that happens. Wow. So it meant that I was like sitting opposite all of these people watching this recreated Pina Bausch piece, trying not to let myself cry too visibly. Yeah, how'd you go? And it it felt embarrassing. I don't yeah. know if anyone caught me. <laughs> I don't think anyone would have cared. <laughs> but it was a difficult moment for me to get through. Wow, what a moving um, piece of theatre. Apparently. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and even just like for the sake of like relaying like one more thing that I found to be one of the several moments that you know hit me and has stuck with me since seeing it and I'm sure will continue to stick suchly <laughs> suchly suchly not a word <laughs> suchly I think it is let's not get into I'm this debate I'm Vanessa suchly <laughs> that's not a bad name I know right oh my god being part of like the suchly family you wouldn't know the suchlys if they hit you in the face oh my god oh, they don't pull a lot of focus the suchlys no they're very understated oh my god <laughs> very poor too oh god why am I on this family's side <laughs> because they're the suchlys that's everyone's true. on their side <laughs> They're underdogs, but they're delightful. I'm Vanessa, and I'm Biff. There's also a Biff. Oh, they, they also have a Biff. Biff Suchley. Biff Suchley is a hot name. I know, that's a porn name. Oh, a my Biff God. Biff Suchley. Oh, my God, that is a hot name. Anyway, fuck. Let's not get distracted by Biff oh, Suchley. Suchley? <laughs> um, yeah, I just want to say that it was like one of the one of the several things that they recreated and talked about was like one of these, one of these really memorable moments was Hugo explaining one of the shows that touched him and it was a the show there was like two men and so this is me explaining a show that I never saw that Hugo saw and explained to me in Grand Theft oh, Theater. Great. Just to let you know how many layers removed I yeah, have from terrific. actually seeing this production. But very very quickly 
It's these two men in a room. The audience is surrounding them. These two men in a room. They attempt to communicate. Are they in a room, Jay? <laughs> in a room. Okay. And they struggle to communicate. And when they fail most spectacularly at the communication, one of them goes and gets a beer. And then that cycle just continues to happen. They attempt to communicate. Oh. They fail to. Then they drink more beer. Oh. That continues to happen. A gay thing occurs. There's a sort of like a, a violent moment. Vomit happens. And then after that, they drink more beer. And it's like about the idea of men not being able to communicate, mm. but remedying everything that happens between them with alcohol. with alcohol consumption. Yeah. And the way it was delivered, and of course the subject matter itself, and the way that that piece of theatre sounds really... And the fact that it meant that much to Hugo. That's part of yeah. it too, isn't it? Yeah, like it's, that's it, so beautiful. It's not just like reading from a, like a list of... I have a book that is just a list of musicals and the plots of them. It's so different from reading that because you're hearing it from the people in whom these shows will forever exist because of the way that they touched them. Wow. You God, know? That sounds like such a good... I, I wish I'd seen that. Well, <laughs> no chance. Never wish will. all you want. I'm no genie. Not yet. <laughs> I have a level of... What is your plan here? Gonna, I'm like this? a world where I have like a Jafar level of hubris and scheming. Yeah, I want to be the most powerful sorcerer. <laughs> okay, really... And then I get tricked by a street rat into wishing to be a genie, forgetting that of course means I have to live inside of a teapot. <laughs> Need I remind you of the end of Aladdin? No, no, no. It's fine. How do they do that on stage? Does Jafar get tricked to go into a genie How in the stage? How does it end? That musical is so underwhelming. What happens to Jafar. I guess it must be the same ending. I'm sure they didn't change it. It's not as if Aladdin shoots him in the head. <laughs> it's over, Jafar. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> oh! <laughs> I guess, no, I guess maybe it's like a puff of smoke and then he holds a glowing teapot. Okay, I don't care about I this I don't anymore. know. What did Ainsley Mellum do? Yes, that's the name of this. You don't care about Ainsley Mellum? No. You Ainsley, to... I'm sure you're lovely. Oh. Um, so, <laughs> Pony Cam did a good show and you liked it and I like the sounds of it. <laughs> to summarise, yes. You like that? You like my little sign-off? Do you want to talk about a different show now? Ah, uh, yeah, I do actually. Okay, not, not because I don't want to talk about this one. I just think we should do it. Good and measured response. Thank you so much. Hit it! Hello, James. Hi. Hi. Hi, Jake. Hello. I saw Goody Proctor with the devil. Oh, so you know the Crucible. I know, like, I know snippets. This is it, guys. This is... It's me again, once again, confirming. I've never seen this play, but I have, through just, like, osmosis of hanging around unbearable people on Tumblr, I have... I, I know bits and pieces of the Crucible. Why do unbearable people on Tumblr like the Crucible? I don't know, but there was a lot of people on Tumblr in, like, 2013 that loved the Crucible. And also just theatre people I know. And also, it's the Crucible. Like people reference the Crucible all the time. It is the Crucible. the The Crucible episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch was really good. Oh sure, yeah, it was actually. I yeah. saw Goody Proctor kissing Santa Claus. There's another one. <laughs> just, I just found it really funny not to keep, like still be giggling from a thing you said what feels like three minutes ago. Mm. <laughs> I saw Goody Proctor with the devil. <laughs> I did. What can I say? It's such a funny tone to deliver that news. I, <laughs> I did. What? That's how I would deliver it. Why? What do you think? I saw Goody Proctor with the devil I did. Is that more what <laughs> There's they There's not a play? goblin character in the Crucible. Kobold is the German term for goblin. Kobold. Yeah, I learned that today in the AIDS quiz. So Australian Shakespeare Company did a production of Arthur Miller's The Crucible. But that's not Shakespeare! <laughs> You're right, and I did send them a heated email about that fact, just in case bad. they were unaware, yeah. um, or if they'd gotten clumsy. <laughs> but yes. This is close enough. Um, that is the second Arthur Miller play that we will be talking about in the one episode. Great, and what did you learn about Arthur Miller during this process? I learned that I, for some reason, have this hunger to make the pun, who wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> Maybe you should steer clear of that. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds pretty funny. Who wants to be Arthur Millionaire? 
that's that sounds like more like one of those like you know how they tried a couple of times to do like a dating show where the guy purported to be a millionaire but then like wasn't oh yeah yeah and there were like different iterations of that for a while yes there's also that Bojack Horseman show uh, what time is it right now how is that similar to this? I just it's got a famous writer doesn't it who's oh J.D. Salinger yeah J.D. Salinger what's it's called like celebrities do they know things let's find out Yep. That one. That, that's my fun tangent I've decided to go on. Oh, you were just referencing a fictional game yeah. show? Yeah. Oh, Bojack Horseman. Good, so go good. On. Way to value so people's the time. Crucible that's exists. And <laughs> the you Crucible saw it. exists. Another one where it's like, yes, I feel like I know the plot, but maybe not necessarily. <laughs> Is it, have you, I'm assuming you've seen The Crucible at some point? Never in my goddamn life. Really? Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Because again, I was worried that I was the only one in the world. No. Okay, good. Great. No. Great. I'm excited. Once again, I am genuinely excited to hear about The Crucible. Oh, exciting. And yep. of course, as everyone knows going into this thing, Elizabeth Brennan. Our yes. beloved Elizabeth Brennan yes. is, of course, in this show, playing Elizabeth Proctor. <gasps> Why are you gasping? Is she the one that saw Goody Proctor? I'm not going to spoil oh the Oh my god! Like, I will, but not you right now. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you the plot of the play I saw. Then what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> um, yeah, so I went to the Athenaeum. Did you know there's a second Athenaeum? What? Well, in that there's Athenaeum 2. There's not a, like, there's... In, wait, in the, the Athenaeum in the city, there are two theatres in that building? So the Athenaeum, of course, opposite the Regent Theatre. Yes. You go inside the goddamn doors. Yes. On your right, there's, like, the bar where you, like, buy wine and such. Yes, I'm following. Next to that bar, there is, like, a door you could go through if you wanted to go into the Athenaeum, right? Yeah, yeah, like to the main... show. Where we saw Oracle. Where we saw Oracle. Those doors. Yeah. If you don't do that bullshit, if instead of going in there, you keep walking up that staircase in front of you in order to get to, like, you know how when you go to the Athenaeum library, you go up those stairs? Yes. Yeah? Oh, no, 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 not the Athenaeum Library. Maybe I don't know So after stairs. you go up the one flight of stairs that's right in front of you when you walk into the Athenaeum, you go up yes. that staircase, you turn right. If you turn right again, you end up in the Athenaeum Library. Yes, A very okay, sweet little sure. library. If you keep going upstairs, there's a second theatre. What? I know. <laughs> You keep oh walking, God. you end up in Athenaeum 2, and that's where Jake went to see the cruise. What sort of space is it? It's great. It's like, it's sort of the shape of like, oh, in my mind, I want to say community theatre in the way that it's shaped, I guess. Largely just because it's kind of a similar shape to like the Bo Morris community theatre. <laughs> Which uh, is a okay. niche reference that will help no one picture Thank you this. So much, yeah. yeah, no, it's like fairly like, um, like, a, like a modestly sized proscenium stage. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's not small, but it's also not like gigantic. Like it's not like... I mean, uh, it's upstairs. It's upstairs, that's something. Yeah, no, I don't even know how to describe the size of it. But like it's quite, even it's like, if you imagine... If you filled it full of fruit, what fruit would it be and how much fruit could you fit you in You would there? fill it up with underripe bananas. Uh, and okay. you could probably fill it with, I'm not very good at these counting games. If you put jelly beans in a jar, I'm not winning that jar of jelly beans. <laughs> I'm just going to smash the jar and eat the beans. Glass and all. Um, okay, how many could it seat, roughly? At the oh, the, the yeah. theatre itself? No fucking clue. I, again, if there are jelly beans in a jar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But it's not small, but it's also not like lavish. Like It's kind of like a, like a good place for like... It felt off-Broadway. Okay, yep, yep, I'm following. I'm yeah? with you. I'm with you. Um, but yeah, really, really lovely space. Um, and felt, as does the whole sort of Athenaeum building, felt like it had a history inside of it. It does feel a bit falling apart in a good way. <laughs> sure. That's what that means. Um, yeah, so there's a bunch of stuff I have to get through before the show even starts. Uh, Don't uh, groan! <laughs> so I go in and I'm immediately met with like this like, the woman dressed in period dress. <laughs> Are you alone? Of course. Of course. I'm Jake. So woman in period dress. 
<laughs> careful. But what do you mean careful? I'm assuming that doesn't mean like blood-stained rags. No, it doesn't mean a period dress. I know it was a joke. Yeah, but you said it apologetically as if you had to get it out of the way. Got to get it out of the way. This woman dressed in period garb mm-hmm. as if she had fallen from the crucible herself. Okay. And she did this incredible job of because it's all general admission, and it was her job to get this full house of like sold-out people. Seated in a way that meant everyone could sit with the like the people they came with, and oh she God. did such a good job. Oh, she all actor like part of the. She was dressed as if she wasn't actor, but I'm certain that she was not she in the show. Must have been part of the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I was in awe of this woman. Like, I didn't want to interrupt what she was doing to compliment her, but like, if I were for some reason running like an usher company, I would have seen what she was doing and been like. You can be the head of the department. Yeah, wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> she was really... That is a real fucking job. Jesus. She did such an incredible job. So she's like, okay, just sit on the end of this row. But, but, but. What was also going on, which just adds to how impressive this woman's ushering work was. My God, how she ushed. Jesus. She ushed <laughs> and she bushed. Oh, my God. <laughs> um... There was also the school groups there. Oh. Substantial school oh. groups. It was like one of those substantial things. Substantial canapes. <laughs> would, you, would you like to eat a little boat of fish and chips while you stand up and mingle at this gala? No! No! <laughs> no! Give me booze! <laughs> would you like these fish and chips? I'd rather wine. <laughs> I have fish and chips. <laughs> Um, so it was one of those things where it's like we, like the rest of us audience people, were outnumbered by school students. Oh God! I'm significantly, so sorry. like they were like at least eighty percent of the audience. Ugh, ugh. Why are you making those sounds? I hate school children. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it's it was very interesting. One of the many things that I appreciated about witnessing the the students entering, I liked a thing that I had not thought about for so long. Remember when you were in high school? No. And you would be doing... Oh, because of all the drugs. Yes. Just <laughs> heroin. Well, many of us have memories of high school. Mm-hmm. Remember when you would, like, be in your school group and you'd be somewhere for a school reason, like seeing Arthur Miller's The Crucible. Yep. And you'd be sitting there and then you'd see another school group come oh, in. Oh, yes. And it would almost be, like, this parallel universe thing of, like... That's us, yeah. but in a different yes, school. <laughs> absolutely. I know exactly. It's sort of, it's similar to when you're even younger and you see a teacher outside of school for the first time. You're like, they don't sleep in the school. It's a, It feels similar to me in terms of like, there are other school students living day-to-day school lives out there at different schools. And like, even though I'm not at that school, that school still exists. It still exists. <laughs> yes, exactly. And they no. have their own like like, like social structure yep. and friendship groups They've and stuff. They've got class clowns in there. Yeah. they got teachers they like and teachers they hate. And they're here seeing the same show as me. Yeah. And are we just... Do we... I don't know. Like, Are, are we the, just twisted reflections of one another? Indeed, Mr. Hyde. <laughs> yes. Like, am I just going to see me but with red hair? Is that just going to be a thing okay, that I would... No, probably not. No. <laughs> With red hair. Yeah, go on, Jay. Let's talk about the crucible, shall we? And yeah, so then School the show kids starts. exist. Before... <laughs> we have to discuss the important matters. There is a moment... There's more? Just before the show okay. begins. Yes. This other woman who I believe is attached to the company or to the theatre, I'm not sure, does this really good job of, like, briefing the students on how to behave in the theatre. She's very, like, warm but authoritative in the way mm. that she's, like, I heard this speech twice. Is she also in period garb? No, she's just oh. dressed like a person. And she's, like... Weird. <laughs> and she's, like, I'm going to treat you like adults. You're at the theatre. This is a real privilege. Oh. If, I, when, if I were your age studying in the Crucible and I got to see a production like this, I'd be so grateful. Mm. Please turn off your phones. Make sure your alarms aren't going to go off. And then this is the part that really made me question whose side I was on. Then one of like, this older woman sitting uh, like in the same row as me, because they've sort of banked all of us normal civilians together, yeah. 
She yells out after this woman says this, so the woman's gone like, make sure you turn your alarms off or I'm sure they'll go off during the show. This older woman near me then yells at the students and will also get very cross. Oh, come it's on. It's like, bitch, what are you, are you trying She's to- She's already told them. And why are you trying to incite this weird tension? Why are you trying to instigate this like, us versus them mentality. Yeah. It was just disappointing. That's such a shame. What I don't a know. Bitch. And that's, but of course, I understand as well. I also, though. Oh, I think that. Absolutely. <laughs> I hate kids, but I, I just, never shout at them. Like, what if we grow into that type of older woman that feels the, I don't know, the well, right. Well, then thing. we'll be in the right. But I wonder, too, is any of that tied to the idea of, like, I was also glad to see people, at least of that generation, perhaps, I suppose, seeing The Crucible with me in the way of, like, similar to you seeing mean, sorry, Death of a Salesman. The, the children or the older people? The older people. Like, yep. also to, with, like, Death of a Salesman. It was like, it's nice to see these people that seem to, and maybe part of that was inherent in her readiness to yell at these children. Don't you <laughs> shout over Arthur Miller. <laughs> well, yeah, the idea of, like, maybe they do feel a connection to, mm. like, I, I ran into my pal David, like, 80-something-year-old David the other oh, day, yeah. and he has a connection to Arthur Miller's work, not because he cares about the work very much, because but because of, like, him growing up and, like, kind of, like, knowing so much about Arthur Miller's relationship with Marilyn Monroe, mm. like having that type of tie to that time period. Yeah. Okay, it's kind of like interesting to see these people that like the man at Death of a Salesman and maybe this like grumpy woman at The Crucible. Mm. It was like, oh, maybe they do feel like a real sense of some type of territoriality over this totally. piece, like for better or worse. And maybe that's kind of beautiful and great. Like the ties that we have to these stories, potentially. Okay, I guess it's beautiful and great, but also don't shout at children. I think that's a good <laughs> Probably policy. Probably something to take away. Yeah, unless they're setting fire to your house. <laughs> yeah, or unless their alarm, you know, does go up, in which case, go ahead. <laughs> so Crucible. So Crucible. So the show starts. So you don't know what the plot is? Uh, like, I, I know it's like a witch hunty sort of story, and mm. it's like, yeah, I, like, I know vague elements, but I could not tell you the plot. No. I have only ever seen it one other time, but like, I recall, only, like, I saw the David Wenham version, and yeah. I, I, I spoke briefly to oh, Elizabeth. Oh, so you have seen a version of it. Well, I have, but I don't count it, because as I sort of explained to Elizabeth when she was on here, I was like, all I remember from that production was the fact that David Wenham was in it, the fact that I really liked the set... And that's kind of all. Like, I don't remember really anything else plot-wise. And I feel like they must have, like, edited it a bunch. Like, the MTC version. Because so much of what happened in this production, I was like, I feel like if I saw the MTC do these things in this plot, I would not be able to forget them. Because it's really good plot elements. They were really nailed by this... Like, this company's, like, performance. What's the company that did this? This fucking Australian Shakespeare company, wasn't it? Australian Shakespeare company, yes. Um, yeah, so I'll give you the plot, just so we're all on the same page of what the Crucible is. Perfect. So there's this sense in the town that something weird is going on, because one of the girls is unwell, and the priest saw a bunch of young women dancing in the woods. And so... <laughs> it's just like a spooky thing that it happened. That's kind of yeah. how it starts. Sure. But it's like, I think, it, in order to like more clearly explain what the plot is, at least as I would understand it, I, I will begin with like John Proctor and Elizabeth Proctor, played by Elizabeth Brennan, immaculately, of course. Oh. So the two of them are married. For a brief time, Elizabeth Proctor was unwell. During her unwellness, John Proctor got super horny or something Fair for Abigail, this girl that was working in their house as kind of like a like a house servant How person. How old is this girl? And she's like a like a late teens person. Okay, sure. Um, but like teenage something. Yeah, yeah. From and that so time, during the time that Elizabeth Proctor is unwell, her husband John has a sort of like a little affair with Abigail. Then what happens is Elizabeth gets better again. John decides, well, Elizabeth decides to fire Abigail because she gets the idea, like, she really gets it in her mind. They're like, oh my god, I think my husband's cheating on me with this, like, young teenage girl. So she just successfully guesses that that is what happened. Yes, and Elizabeth, like, (laughs) fires Abigail. Abigail goes off, and then they hire, like, a new girl to work with her named Mary Warren. She then comes in and works instead as, like, the house servant, which is relevant later. But anyway, so that's just, like, a backstory thing that occurred. 
After that happens, there's a bunch of, like, witchy stuff that happens in the woods. Abigail and Mary Warren and all of, like, her gal pals are doing, like, weird witchy-seeming things in the woods. And, and we, the audience, fully see this happen. We don't see that happen. All we see of that, kind of, is, like, at the very beginning of the show, the girls come out carrying candles and then blow them out mischievously. Oh! <laughs> yes, and then it sort of comes out. It's, like, of course, part of what the show is about. There's, like, rumour and truth and hearsay. who to believe and hearsay yeah. and all that. Absolutely. And this whole, like, ongoing thing of, like, it's set in Salem and the idea of, like, something spooky is happening in Salem. What's going on in Salem? Mm. Um, and then... So, then like a reverend gets brought in there's this whole thing of like what's going on one of the girls is really sick after having done whatever this like weird dance spirit like spooky ritual was oh. people get real suspicious and then the girls kind of like decide and this is where it sort of comes in it's like who do you believe whose side are you on are they just making this up are they just like being girls should you feel bad for not trusting them and them being girls do you not trust them because they're young girls yeah. that type of thing is yeah. kind of like wow. in your head and they start accusing people of being witches. And that's when the thing that you're quoting, like, I saw Goody What's-Her-Face with the devil. Yes. That type of thing begins happening. And then it just becomes this big, sort of like big suspicion thing of like, what were the girls up to? Which people are witches? Uh, who's being manipulated by whom? Mm. Like, who's like who, who's invoking the devil and using these powers to affect each other? I mean, that's such a good... It's just a good premise. Sure. That is sort of... Yeah. Yeah. And so then what proceeds to kind of happen is that, like, Abigail, after having the affair with John Proctor, with whom she's very much in love, mm. in, like, a very intense... Not... In a very, like, teenage girl way, which I don't say disparagingly, but, like, you know, understand the, the type of, yeah. like, devoted intensity, you know? And so she uses these... The sort of, like, avalanche of allegations that her and her like witchy gal pals are like putting forth to accuse Elizabeth Proctor of being a witch herself oh which of course with the way that like the court undertakings are happening it's like if you get accused and then they believe that you are a witch they will hang you and they start hanging people but if you confess then they will give you a lesser sentence than that and what's the lesser sentence it's like jail time I believe and then I think you're fine is my understanding um but yes Abigail uses it as an opportunity to potentially like kill the wife of the man she's in love with as either a punishment Ooh, for like spurning her or maybe as a chance to then get to be with him. Abigail, scary. Abigail, scary. And that sort of like brings me to the idea, like Claire Duncan's performance as Abigail, mm. just like so magnetically like devious mm. and just everything she did was just like, she was like so watchable in the way that she was like fascinatingly intense with oh, great. everything she did. And you could understand why like a collection of like young people would like flock to her and want her to be their leader. Like there was a real, mm. yeah, magnetic intensity to her performance. Oh, terrific. Um, yeah. And like Brianna Esme McGeary's performance as Mary Warren as well was so fascinating in the way that like she was sort of positioned to be her being like the sort of replacement housekeeper. Mm. That was then friends with Abigail, being sort of like witchily mischievous and like cunning. But then Mary Warren is in this position of like, while being friends with her and still wanting to be loyal to Abigail, is also a bit excited by the idea of like all these young girls suddenly having this power in this town and kind of being able to do whatever it is that they want. Yeah. But also still having this loyalty to Elizabeth and John Proctor, who have like brought her in and like her employers. Mm-hmm. That type of thing too. And witnessing her being like an element of the way that the court system functions and the way of them, like the, the larger like male cohort of people trying to seek out justice. Mm. And oh my God. And just like watching the way that Brianna, watching her wrestle with the ethics at play and whose allegiance she, you know, is, is valuing. And she makes a number of like surprising decisions in terms of like who she's willing to put herself on the line for. Yeah. And she her performance was just so like, gripping and warm and somehow what felt like so immediate like within the first three sentences of her walking into the Proctor household sort of like high off the thrill of getting to be such a powerful element of this court case Mm. was 
Oh my god! Wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. It really had it an was, effect on you. It did. Yeah. No, I just. I, I, How I big just, was the cast? It was like quite substantial. I'd say it was like no, oh, like uh, around. How many 20? jelly beans? Around I think twenty-ish. 20 Jesus, is that right? I don't know. What is it? Twenty-one. Twenty-one. Wow, well done. <laughs> Uh, Jackson McGovern plays John Proctor. Great. Um, and he does a great job of like wearing this really great coat that he's in. Like and it's then, a pilgrim sort of coat. It's like a big... Are they pilgrims? No, I think it's a whole different thing. They have a similar outfit. Yeah. Yeah, no. But pilgrims have to do with a pilgrimage and then it's tied to the time in which that pilgrimage occurred. Do they have like little belt buckle hats? <laughs> so that again is pilgrims. I think it's more of a Thanksgiving thing that you're trying to get at. Yeah, they killed all the Native Americans. This, um, yeah, this, no, this is more of a, uh, yeah, no, not that. Okay. This is, even like it, costumically, there was almost like a Germanic edge to the things that they were wearing. Oh, gorgeous. I'd say, yeah, yeah. No, it was really nice looking, the stuff that they had on. Yeah, yeah, lovely. Jackson had a super nice, for the the bulk of the show, with this very nice coat on. And he's like, gruff masculinity really matched the coat. That's why I bring up the coat. <laughs> for the gruff masculinity. The gruff masculinity. You said masculinity. Masculinity. Because mm, he smelled good. Oh. Why could I don't know. You should be able to smell him from where you were sitting. I didn't. <laughs> he confessed. Um, he confessed. But yeah, yeah. No, it's nice to watch a man be so like trudgingly manly. Yeah, totally. I suppose. Yeah. Um, and of course, too, like the, the the journey that he goes on of like wanting to, uh, well, towards the end, it gets especially moving the way that the, like he and Elizabeth talk to each other and care about each other. I'd say part of what made his performance so gripping was the way that he was so single-minded in the things that he wanted to keep safe. Sure. And so much of like part of what The Crucible is kind of famous for is like for the final moments of like whether or not John is willing to sort of like confess to being at the kind of like the, the, the center of this Wiccan debacle. Like mm. if he's willing to take the blame for a lot of what's happened in the town and then his unwillingness, like he signs this confession and then, but then he's unwilling to let them take his confession and put it on the church. And then he's like, you've seen me sign the confession. God has seen me sign the confession. Why do you also need to like throw me in the dirt and put my name on the front of this church? And let yeah. everyone shame me and think less of me. Like, how is that different to the, like us in this room just knowing what's happened? If we all believe in God, sure. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, <laughs> sorry to spoil the crucible, but then because he's unwilling to let people see what he's done, um, that he then he ends up getting hanged. Oh, and then, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, well, that's no good. That's but, a shame. Yeah. But as Elizabeth says in the says in the final moments of the show, it's like, but he, it means that his goodness isn't taken from him. You know, he gets to die yeah. with his goodness. God, I didn't know that's how it ended. Well, I didn't know how the story went. Yeah, I didn't know how it started. No, or, I didn't know what the how it got all middly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know that stuff between those two things? Um, how did they do the hanging on stage? They I, didn't. He left. And like the final thing that we see is Elizabeth Proctor kind of like a bit decimated, but, you know, I don't know, a bit emblazoned by seeing her husband have such integrity and courage. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I want to point out Alex Cooper playing Ezekiel Cheever. Oh, oh, great name, great character name, Ezekiel Cheever. Ezekiel Cheever largely oh. goes by Cheever in the you know throughout the show. Why would you not go by Ezekiel? I don't. I don't. Cheever. I, I can't speak to the social dynamics of the time necessarily. Yeah, okay. All maybe, right. maybe at the time Ezekiel was like was like Michael. Maybe Cheever was very cool as a name. Yeah. I'd say maybe. Okay, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just found so much of what Alex was doing in his performance, uh, a high point for me of experiencing Alex. <laughs> what sort of character was he playing? What is he was person? playing like, like, a lot of it, he was almost the stenographer of the courtroom. Right. 
A lot of so he spent a lot of time using a quill to write down what was happening in the court, like the court proceedings, uh-huh. was part of it. He did, spent a lot of time carrying a briefcase around when, like, slightly people slightly higher up in the tiered system of justice in the town was occurring. He was mm-hmm. kind of like nearby with a briefcase. <laughs> I don't know. I just one of the moments, and I got to meet him in the foyer afterwards, and then I, it was this terrible moment of me poorly explaining to him part of what I thought was so magnificent about his performance. And it was all I literally said to him was like that part where you were sad on the bench was so moving. And then huh. Elizabeth had to. Luckily, she was standing close by and said to him, "No, he's being sincere." Because I think in that, yes, no, everything you say comes across a bit sarcastic. Because that's yeah, exactly that sentence alone would have just sounded like I was being dismissive. Cool. Oh, you were so good on that bench. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, That's yeah, how yeah, I would have yeah, sounded. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no. And it's like, no, but truly it would have ranked in like the top three things that I loved about the show. One of them was Alex's performance, particularly in the way that it was represented on that bench because it was him going from, at least in terms of what I was reading as an audience member, mm. he went from just being kind of this, this like sweet, confident man that was involved in this process that he really believed in. And by the time that the time that has passed has passed, he's sitting on this bench a little bit, I don't know, deflated and dehydrated from maybe losing some faith in what they were doing. And because the way, of all the hangings. Because of all the hangings. And maybe he, him, like himself, has maybe like privately lost faith in his cause, but he's still tied to it. Mm. And maybe, I don't know, believes in justice, but not the way that it's functioning. And I just thought the way that, at least for me, it felt like that was shown in his, just like his musculoskeletal system. Dejection. Sure. I just, I found that to be like quite moving and beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I wish I'd worded it better when I spoke to him, but now I'm saying it to you. So that's... <laughs> if you're listening in, the, the, there you go. <laughs> anyway, speaking of other things that were not necessarily words that got said that I found to be just so captivating, mm. um, of course I have an Elizabeth Brennan bias, but one of the most marvellous moments and I found it like this this is the part not not that this is a thing that we should be keeping tabs on as a group but the moment that got me most teary-eyed was <laughs> this moment where she's like watching John wrestle with the, the the moment that I just described the one of him like not wanting to like give up his good name yep and watching her watch him make that choice was some of the most like upsetting moving theater that I've seen in quite some time it was just like yeah. it was just so marvelous oh, um, Elizabeth Oh, what a woman. What a woman. And, and similarly, in like this very, very long court case. <laughs> like, <laughs> a lot like, of logistics. It honestly, it wasn't even a court case. It was like a hearing that was like very, very like competently handled by like Brian Davison playing like a deputy governor Danforth who was like sitting behind this table. And then we've of course got like Alex Cooper on the side writing on his like with his quill. With his briefcase nearby. With his briefcase nearby using his quill to write down what happens in the like the hearing that's happening. Yeah. Um, it's this very long scene. A lot of legalese I mean I loved Ellen Beale I loved The Good Wife but you've mentioned <laughs> a lot of legalese in this in this in this scene and not just legalese old timey legalese <laughs> indeed my favourite flavour yes. <laughs> Um, there's a portion where, because of course this show, like the, the the plot and the case itself is about what these like young girls were getting up to in the woods. Yes. And the effect they had on lesbian them. things. Lesbian things that they're doing. In this. <laughs> Don't just say lesbian. Lesbian things. things. They're allowed to be doing lesbian things in the woods. Oh, first off, they're not allowed. They're not even allowed to be dancing in the woods, let alone doing lesbian things. No, I mean as human beings, they should be allowed to do lesbian things in the woods. That is very different to you telling me that in the world of the Crucible, lesbianism is just a big thumbs up. That's a very different remark. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Touche. But they bring these girls in and a whole bunch of like stuff ensues after that dramatically and it's like a bunch of does it? 
bunch of like a bunch of like pretend fraudulent magic happens, and then as, 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 sorry, as in the characters themselves are pretending to do magic. This is around the time where it's like Mary Warren has to decide whose side she's really on. And yep. she's trying to protect the good name of the Proctors, yep. but also doesn't want to get thrown under the bus by Abigail and her witchy pals. Yeah, because if they can spin it into making Mary Warren like the mastermind of all of the witchcraft, she's done for. Then she's done for. Yeah, um, she's done for by Danforth, which oh, is where that saying well comes played, from. Well played. <laughs> Um, yeah, so a bunch of that, 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 that stuff happens. But even like before that, all of those like hijinks ensue. Yep. Before that, there's this like beautiful moment that I just love seeing. Like, and it was because of the way that like the stage was working in terms of like the blocking and the positioning and the way that they've structured even just like where all the characters are standing mm. and the tone of the scene, of course. But you've got a bunch of men standing around, sitting around at this table with a quill. And it's like all these men. And then you have all these women come in. And it's like... They're this, like, issue that all of these men are trying to solve. And it seems maybe a bit rudimentary to be like, it's about gender. (laughs) But there was something really marvellous, I thought, in the way that just bringing these girls in, making them sit down and just be on the side of your legal proceedings... Um, and then, and then having Mary Warren as well sitting by herself and also being such a troublemaker in the way of what they're trying to solve. And it felt a bit like I kept having this image coming to me of like, it's like all these men are these hammers and these women are this smoke and these hammers are trying to stop the smoke with hammers, but you can't stop smoke with hammers. And it's this idea of No, like, you need a fine net. Yeah, <laughs> that's just, I, I don't know, somehow that image yeah, kept coming uh, to me. That's, uh, of like, it's, it almost feels as if, and I guess this is part of like, you know, one of the many themes of this play of like, you've got this like justice system, like built of all of these cogs and mechanisms and all these things. But it's like, maybe it's not necessarily built for all of the things it's going to have to cope with. Mm. And I don't know, maybe there's, I don't know, something in there about the idea of like, the, I don't know, the, the, the problems that men feel they can solve with being quintessentially masculine and the troubles that yeah. arise when something that they don't fully understand and maybe because they're ill-equipped in some sort of inherent way to cope with something as, as befuddling yeah. as like, the, I don't know, the debatably like, I don't know, wily, wicked confusion that can come about when something as emotionally complicated as a group of young women get together it and must do be something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a square peg, round hole. It doesn't work. I don't get it. Yeah. 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 That's so interesting. Yeah, that, that visual of the hammers with the smoke, I did mock, but I actually really like that. Oh, good. I'm glad you came around to it. Yeah. No, I, came, <laughs> I, I liked it immediately. I just wanted to make fun of you. Oh, good. No, always prioritize bullying when you can. I do. <laughs> I want to also just briefly mention Nicole Nabout. Um, she's playing Anne Putnam. What's she up to? Oh, she's Nicole about. I don't necessarily know that I pronounced her surname correctly, so could you please not dwell on it? It might, Sorry? It might, it might be Naboo if it's like a fancy site, like fancy site. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But, or, or Nicole Naboot, I'm not sure. But I just want to bring her up. She played Anne Putnam, and I thought her contribution to the show I really, really enjoyed because it was almost this like Hogwartsy take on like an excited, but I don't know, she, like even when she rushes in, in like her, like surprisingly colored dress like it's a lot of like weird elbow patches and stuff mm. there was just like this weird kind of like gothic charm to it and her like her clawy hands and her <laughs> in the way that she was holding them she doesn't have like talons <laughs> sure. is, is she one of the witchy little girls no she's like one of like the, the women in the town oh and she's yeah she tells this devastating story about how like she's had a bunch of like of her babies die oh. and it's part of what he- heaps upon these accusations of like what's going on like was it was it the nurse woman was it like what's why are all my babies dying all of a sudden oh I see 
see, and describe yeah. them like withering in her arms, that type of thing. Probably and, malnutrition, babe. And she, and she, but yeah, seeing her like rush in and have all these like wicked theories and the enthusiasm with which like which she like put them forth, it was like a nice contribution of like somehow she seemed to at least for me embody this side of <laughs> the way that witchcraft kind of exists for some people, I guess. And maybe it is just a Harry Potter thing. Maybe it is like a hocus pocus thing. But I appreciated the end of the energy that she brought, where it was like this very recognizable, somehow very contemporary feeling thing of like no witchcraft is happening, and we need to talk about it, and yeah. we need to like solve this witchy problem that you we need have. to have some fun in there. She, <laughs> I wouldn't say that she's no, like someone fun. who is excited by it. It's a lot of it. baby graves. Trigger yeah. warning, baby death. <laughs> Trigger warning, baby death. <laughs> a lot of dead babies. Honk, but honk. I... <laughs> that goose. That goose. Here he is. Uh, he's a bit late, but he's here. <laughs> um, and I guess I I want to say just one more thing about I really did appreciate the ingredient that was added to my theatrical experience, that of the school children being there, mm. partly because it's just a fun little like version of their ecosystem to get to be privy to. Oh, I sure. find that whole period of life to be so interesting and to get to see this version of it in them was cool especially at the theater was nice i, I didn't mind that a bunch of them arrived really late for act two that was fine Bastards. <laughs> i didn't mind some that of that woman and shouted at them <laughs> you're <Sit> down <laughs> <laughs> expelled i love <laughs> um, but i thought something that they like children are always going to bring and always is maybe too strong, but will always bring is kind of like an enthusiasm when they're really into something. Yeah. You know? And I think it was just like, honestly, every, you know, debatable, like, theatrical crime that was committed by some of them by not necessarily being quiet enough. And this is me speaking for me. I don't know how anyone else in the theater felt. But I'm, uh, me, <laughs> I'm selfishly willing to forgive everything that they did in terms of, like, maybe inappropriate theatrical behavior mm. while watching The Crucible. It was all forgiven the moment that I was, like, standing in the foyer waiting to talk to Elizabeth. And I was watching other, like, these wonderful cast members, like, sort of, like, walk out one by one out into the street outside the Athenaeum. Mm. And there was this, like, group of school children waiting to, like, cheer for them as they left. Oh, <laughs> that's so cute. It was so nice. Yeah. And I just, that, that, that was the moment where I was like, you know what? <laughs> They're children. Was it a magic? He was. Yeah. Right, okay, they're allowed to be there. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and like, at least they're not witches. <laughs> that dancing. we know of. That we know of. <laughs> they could be doing witchy lesbian things in the world. They could. <laughs> witchy and lesbian goes hand in hand for me now. You can't make that yeah, decision. Yeah, it does, it does. You cannot conflate lesbianism for me. with... For me. For you, yeah. lesbians and witches are the same? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. What do you think is your favourite theme from The Crucible? I think just it's like that very classic vibe of who can you trust and the sort of paranoia that creeps in with that and sort of like people like never knowing what quite to trust and who to listen to and what is true. I think that always makes for interesting tension and drama. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think The Crucible is one of those, even though I've never seen it, I know that it is one of those very quintessential classic examples of that sort of tension. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so to hear it described and told to me is quite nice because I, I I want to see it and I like that tension. That also, even like, yeah, you saying that has made me think of this thing and I don't know if this is because I'm like coming to the Crucible from a, an embarrassing position of like obviously only having seen it once that I don't recall. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, um, had this ongoing theory throughout the show. So like, Tear Atang is playing Reverend John Hale, mm-hmm. who kind of like gets brought into town because of all this weird witchy stuff that's happening, and he is like a like a larger authority than the priest that is already there. He's Hercule Poirot. What? He's an ins- <laughs> they brought in a detective, basically. Well, he's a reverend, though. Yeah, so but in that way, it... he's a reverend. Okay, never mind, never mind. <laughs> but anyway, how, do they bring Poirot in when there's like, well, we can't work this out. Get yeah, when the police can't figure it out, they're like, he's Belgium. They say, bring in Poirot, and in comes Poirot, and he's like, I'm going to solve the crime. 
He's like that if Poirot had one of those like little reverend necklaces on. Well, that's exactly what I... Yep. Yeah? Right. So, so Tia is playing this reverend and comes in and is like... Oh, I had this... I'm feeling the need to like say beforehand... Maybe this is a theory that has been like well discussed in essays since this play was written. Okay, about the Crucible? About the Crucible yep. and about what the like, how it functions as a plot and the themes and whatnot. So tell me if I'm having an idea that many Year 11 students have had before. You understand <laughs> that I can't tell you that. I'm not necessarily just talking to you. We're actually making a podcast. At the oh, so, sorry, I forgot we were recording. <laughs> Go on. Well, um, we just have these intellectual conversations for fun. <laughs> this idea that he comes in and very much like with him, like quoting from the Bible and having all of these like strong, stubborn ideas about religion and about witchcraft and about how to keep this town safe he very much too emboldens people to feel very proud of their own beliefs as long as they align with his Mm. and uh, there's so much talk of like is the devil in salem and once he rocks up and it it wasn't and i think it was partly due to like his like very sort of like softly spoken but very like empowered self-righteous tone it was Uh. to do with like the red lining of his like reverend outfit. Oh. It was like, is this the, is this devil? the devil? That's a great interpretation. It's That's or, fun. Or potentially it's fun. It's a, a fun very pedestrian take. But it was like, yeah, there was something about Tia's performance and about the things this character get, get, gets up to. And especially, and I got even just like more and more suspicious when he started like during like the second portion of the show, kind of turning around and beginning to like question if they were doing the right thing or not. And I was like, no, no, Satan. Like, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this stop, is all part of your Stop scheme. whipping this up. Except, um, what's the character's name? Um, Reverend, Reverend John Hale. Reverend. Are you Googling yeah, him? Yeah, I'm just going to have a quick Google. Okay. But yeah, no, there was something about the way that like, even then he was sort of like backing out of the things that he'd committed so much to, but it's like, that's what Satan would do. Yeah. He would get everyone to do these atrocious things. And then before you started suspecting him, he'd act as if he'd like lost faith in his own cause and then vanish once he knew that he'd done all the work he had to do. Yeah. And then, then John Proctor would get taken off and hanged. My God. Well, there's nothing... There's nothing up. saying that Reverend well, John Hale the, the is the devil. Titles aren't anything to do with it. They're like Reverend Hale character analysis in the Crucible. Reverend, is he the devil? I've searched the Crucible, Reverend John Hale, the devil, mm. and yeah, nothing's popping up. Interesting. Well, Jake, you might be a genius. <laughs> I've blown this thing wide open. My God, Arthur Miller's going to rise from the grave. I assume he's dead. <laughs> Arthur Miller, yeah, super deceased. Oh great. Yes. Not great, but you know, unfortunate. But you know, <laughs> he'll rise from the dead and say, "You've done it. Well done, boy," <laughs> and then die again. Oh God. Um, but yeah, I'm wow. like, yeah, yeah, really, really grateful for getting to see The Crucible, for it to be this production, and yeah, and to, you know, in an unsurprising note to close this all out, Elizabeth Brennan is so talented, mm. and her performance in this show was remarkable, the ensemble around her was so strong as well, um, and yes, yeah, so grateful to know her and to see her do what she's so amazing at doing. Congratulations to the Australian Shakespeare Company. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We tip our hats to tip you. Them, doff our hats. <laughs> well, there we go. Yeah. Here yeah. we are. We did it. I got talked at for <laughs> what felt like hours. <laughs> sorry to you. Sorry to everyone listening. <laughs> no, I, I actually quite enjoyed this episode. I was quite thrilled to be told about those two Arthur Miller plays I've never seen. Great. Especially by the fact that you have not properly seen either of them mm. as well. Made me feel quite good. Oh, um, good. That was good. Mm-hmm. I had a good time. Um, and... Yeah, like, what are we going to do for the rest of the week? Like, what's up? What have you got on? Um, what do I have? No, no, nothing out of the ordinary. All the same things, I think. No, nothing. No. I have to return a bunch of Tupperware to my father. Jesus. Is the worst okay. sentence I've ever said. I'm going to fucking say, this is good content. I'm going to dinner with my cousin, so, you know. Oh, yes. That'll be nice. To discuss the downfall of the Hardy dynasty. 
Not yet. No. Not yet. Sowing the seeds. Oh, good. <laughs> Phase one. Phase one has already started. First, I need to get them all into a submersible. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. And then, and then, I, then <laughs> rest in peace, you Atlantic ghosts. Yeah, right. Atlantic. Well, that's where the Titanic sank. I assume that's where they plonked them. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, well, add five to the tally. Oh. <laughs> And with that, I guess, friends don't let friends become skin. And with the increase of the Titanic death toll. <laughs> yeah, five more deaths indirectly caused by the Titanic. I don't think you can blame the Titanic for that. Well, they were down there to look at the Titanic. The Titanic didn't make them do it. Indirectly. If the Titanic weren't so intriguing. Indirectly. <laughs> indirectly caused by the Titanic. Add five to the tally, boys. In that, yes, if the, if the Titanic had never Titanicked, they, they would not have them. been in the Atlantic Ocean. Thank you, Jake. Friends <laughs> yeah. don't let friends become theatre critics. That's, did you say the first one? <laughs> no, you say it. Oh, <laughs> We may already disagree with everything we just said. Mostly things about dead millionaires. <laughs> and, yeah, friends don't let friends become theatre critics. Yeah, we don't need to say it in order. No, you're right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you're doing a show, let us know about it. We'll come and see it. We'll talk about it on this show. Yeah. Um, we we have an email, we have an Instagram, they're both what you think they would be, mm. um, they're praised Dionysus. Thank you all so much for being here, it's really, really sweet of you. Um, yeah. yeah, and yeah, speak to you really soon. Hit it!